Hey everyone, this is Mark Marble, and this is the Lantern Cast, with apparently 100% more me for the time uh, for the time being and foreseeable future, even though, yes, kidding aside, we're going to still have uh, other hosts, guest hosts, co-hosts, that's the plan anyway, but meanwhile, while, Trad, while Chad excuse me, is trapped in the quantum realm, we're going to be doing a few different things and one of the things that even though we really hadn't talked about this Chad and I one of the things I had been thinking about for a while was that we really had not done another quote-unquote classic episode going back to revisit an old episode and potentially do a new take on it because I think the last time we did it we didn't do much with it I think I was kind of disappointed when I went back and listened the reality is all we did was package we kind of like rebranded and repackaged but it was the same material which was a great episode the Jim is drunk episode but I want but it would be always better to like bring something new to the table so what what's going to happen this time or at least the game plan is I decided to pick an episode uh, which will, by luck of the, not really luck of the draw, but it was kind of appropriate. Episode thir- 32, which was my first appearance on the Lantern Cast when I came on mostly to talk about the Facebook, now defunct Facebook game, and talk, to talk of Jim and Dan, and then we did some Blackest Night uh, mini series issue reviews too. And I'm saying this now because I have not re-listened to this episode. I wanted to give just my initial what I. What I believe I remember about going on the show just from now before I listen to it and see how accurate I am. So I wanted to record this before I even played the episode because I don't think I'm on the episode the entire time. So I I think I'm only on a few segments. So probably it's not going to be the entire episode 32, probably just the parts that, that I'm on with Jim and Dan. But that's how, again, that's how I remember it now. If I'm wrong, then obviously it'll be a longer episode. But the idea would be I'm going to, it's almost going to be like a, a commentary track on an audio, which is going to be, which is going to be odd, but I'm going to play the original track and then, you know, pause it and make comments on it when it seems, when it seemed appropriate, just, uh, just cause it would be different. And it is, it's a better than just completely repackaging old, old material. It's kind of like bringing something new to the table. So what I do remember about this episode, besides obviously being nervous uh, going on, uh, and the fact that I, when you listen to it, it's like clearly it's not a typical high quality recording. I think I think I was on I I was either on the phone or it was a really bad headset. I, for some reason, I think I was on the phone, but I I could be wrong. It sounds like I was on on the phone anyway. That's that's how I how I remembered it. That uh, I just. It was an interesting experience. I, Jim and I had talked about the game, and that's how, I think it's a segue for me and Jim becoming friends. So I do remember I do remember that going into it. I also remember the fact that we were doing you know black, the Blackest Night issues at the time. A lot of the miniseries were going on, and a com- completely unrelated note, which I kind of make, f- makes me feel like Chad a little bit, not just because of what's going on with Chad, but just because this is more. Uh, Chad shares more of these things than I do. That I remember that as it turned out, even though I didn't know it at the time, that I was basically in in the midst of having a kidney stone event that it didn't really manifest itself to like two days after I did this recording. We either recorded on a, on a Wednesday or a Thursday night, and Sunday morning following, Dan, I ended up in, at, in the ER with with my, with my kidney stone. So I do remember that that whole week I wasn't feeling well. So that's another thing that's unrelated to the episode, but I do kind of remember. So uh, that's pretty. Those are pretty much my initial thoughts. I don't want to. I don't want to add too much 
right and I don't want to ramble on too much more than I have to or and I'm sure you don't want me to either so that's pretty much going to be it for this I'm going to segue now into the actual episode and again I'm gonna I'm gonna play it and I'm gonna pause and jump in when necessary and then probably just come back at the end to do a conclusion and that's it so hopefully you'll enjoy this variation on the lantern can lantern cast excuse me classic concept a lot of season there I think I could be forgiven for that screw up but yes, the Lantern Cast classic concept that this might be a, a cool way to revisit older episodes. So, hopefully, you'll enjoy. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Ford. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 32. 32. The beginning of the Marble era of podcasting, apparently. Uh, but it's kind of cool to be on an episode that was that early on. Obviously, as you'll hear in the rest of the episode, uh, that they were getting close to the one-year anniversary. But still, the fact that it's still a relatively low number, uh, that was pretty neat. Episode 32. We have a guest today, Dan. I know. It feels special. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Doing good. 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 Now, Mark is... Well, he, he he's involved with something near and dear to your heart, I know. <laughs> yes, I, I play the game very, very often. Mark, why don't you give us a recap of the Green Lantern game on Facebook? Well, I'm probably at this point... I'm. There's two administrators in the Lantern Corps War Facebook game app, and probably at this point I, I do not taking away anything from Jesus Vega who made the game, and I'm glad that he let me become an admin on it. But right now, probably I'm the one who's doing the most of the day-to-day work on trying to build the game and get more, get it better known and, and just make it better to play. And I think with input from especially you, Jim, and and other Green Lantern fans, I think we've done a lot better job anyway at making it more playable and more interesting than even when we first, when I first started playing. I think even when you first started playing, weapons and hidden allies in the game that are are just not just locked, but they're hidden. You can only get them from playing a mission and succeeding, and you can't buy them at any point in the game in the marketplace and things like that. So that's that's the basic gist of the game. You arm yourself, you. You, you go on missions to gain experience points. You fight other characters, not in your own core, but you fight other people in the game, and you just move up the levels, and that's that's it in, in a nutshell, I would say. And what kind of missions would you go on as a Black Lantern? Like, are you just going around eating people, or is it like? I think some of the ones I have so far for I have the generic, I have the generic one, which. You know, which is like rise that the black hand is raising you, which is I guess the equivalent of taking the oath. Most of the other first missions for every core is like taking the oath. But for the black, for the for the black lanterns, I think one of them is rise. Some of it is uh, I have one that unearthed Bruce Wayne's skull. That's one <laughs> mission for the black. For, for the black, I have um, I know I have attacking the hawk, Hawkman and Hawk Girl. I think I call that one stalking the hawks or whatever. And that's that's, that's that's one mission for the blacks, and those are the ones that come to mind. That's 
you know, but I have a decent amount of level, mission level for the black up until probably close to 20. Even though right now it doesn't seem like the blacks are as popular. I'm surprised the Sinestro Corps isn't more popular in this game. Looking at the number of people that have, are playing as Sinestro Corps members, I figured there would be more. Obviously, Corwin, Corwin failed the Sinestro Corps. <laughs> Actually, I don't remember, honestly, if Corwin played this game back then, uh, but it's just kind of funny. I'd have, whenever I think of Sinestro, I, he, I naturally think of Corwin. And yes, you would th- I think probably was a, maybe the drug of the moment for the other cores, because uh, the Sinestro Corps obviously had already been around technically for a couple of years before we got to Blackest Night. So I think on one level, it would make sense that you would have some of the newer cores that would garner more interest. But it probably was surprising that if Black, the Black Lantern Corps was not overly popular, you would think playing as the bad, you know, the, the idea of playing as the bad guy would be tempting. Now, with some of the weapons on the lower levels, do you, you know, do you ever get a little worried as far as like, oh no, there's so many weapons that we use on the lower levels, what the heck are we going to use for the higher levels now? I'm not. I wasn't. I'm still not overly concerned because what I've tried. Because this is one of the good things that Jesus did when he set it up is that he seemed like he had the generic weapons, like this, like a blue lantern core ring, and then the, that would come up first when you um, on one level, and then you, a few levels later you'd find the blue lantern power battery, which would be an armor. And what I tried to do is I try to continue the pattern and move your way up the cores, so like. As you, if you move further along, like the reds, the oranges, even the black, and even the indigos, those are some of the more powerful generic weapons to get. But I've added a lot of specific weapons, as in I have, I, you've already uncovered, because I know you're further along, you've passed that level already, like I have Kyle Rayner's power ring. Yes. A specific weapon, which is only for Green Lantern characters, not right. for, as opposed to the generic Green Lantern ring, or even that elite Green Lantern ring, which I just created. That can be used for everybody, but the Kyle Rayner power ring is just for Green Lanterns, and you can only use it, and you need it for specific missions later on in the game. And I've, and I've done the same thing with most of the other cores. I have Atrocitus' power ring. I have St. Walker's power ring. I have Hal Jordan's power ring. Things like that. So I think I've, I think there's enough weapons to go around, plus the fact that I added the ally category, which kicks in at level 30 which use a specific characters that you can use as allies to your, that are specific to your core. I think that helps balance out that concern. So eventually, actually, I, I really enjoy making the making the items is a lot a lot of fun. The missions is fun too, but the items because a little quicker to make the items. But I, I I really enjoy making the items. Now, with the the allies feature, you said that there are hidden allies here and there. Can you give us like a preview? As far as like what maybe some of the different cores will you know come up with for the the secret allies that they could look for in the future. Is there some sort of cat maybe? Even though that's not hidden though, <laughs> but that uh, is the first. The, but the first, the first ally the Reds will find once you get to level thirty, which I'm sure Brian, so. is just, Brian Coates, I'm sure is just waiting for if he's out there. Is <laughs> Dexter? Dexter is, is the first Red Lantern ally to come up. Dexter, and of course Dan would ask about Rage Kitty. That's kind of cool, but uh, yeah, the the 
as we go on and talk, and again, I forget where we were in the game's development versus in this episode. Obviously, we had done the Allies. I don't know. I think, I want to say there was almost like a, a, a Guardian or no homeworld that's what it was it was homeworld i know at least there were homeworlds created that was another that was another element that was added in homeworlds of, of each cores and things like that um so every when i hear this stuff it just it just brings back memories because i used to have a notebook of all this stuff so i i do miss this game <laughs> which you'll hear by a lot as far as, as far as hidden allies that you can only get in the missions themselves let's see there's I don't know how specific you want me to get. I could give you the. I could tell you what the mission is, and then maybe people can figure out possibly what the ally would be. But I have a uh, future shock. I think that future shock mission, I believe, from because Green Lantern '98 and '99, I think with Kyle, and there's a Green Lantern that's a special, a hidden character that, as far as I know, only appeared in the in those two issues and hasn't appeared. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. We know who you're talking that, about. Uh, now that character is is a, is a hidden ally for the Green Lanterns. That that's the only way you can get that character. Carrie Wren, people. That is yet another. I do tend to wax inadvertently. It's always inadvertently. But going back, to, it's interesting to see things don't change. Go back to like my first appearance. That I do tend to wax poetic about Carrie Wren. But uh, yes, that's it. that is the Carrie Wren reference from Future Shock. She was the ally we were all referring to. And I did a I did a mission. Like last week, which was related to Unholy Alliances, the Green Lantern Silver Surfer crossover, mm. and it's it's not it's not a Marvel character, it's not a, it's not a Marvel character that's that's hidden, but it's a it's a special version of an existing. I, I can I can nah, maybe I'll give this one away. I kind of like this one myself. I they, they, on that mission the the hidden character is Parallax with the with the power cosmic. <laughs> when he absorbed, when the wow. surface gave him the power <laughs> cosmic, so, so, and I've, and as the game goes on, I'm trying to add more, more hidden allies in there because I think that I think that's pretty interesting. Definitely. And I do have one I haven't added yet, which relates to, which relates to Circle of Fire because I did do one Circle of Fire mission so far, and I don't I haven't added an ally yet, but I have a choice of two I think I want to do, but. <laughs> it can go either way on that one. I'm not sure which way I want to go, so that's why. But, but I think it's cool. Like Jim and I have talked about, I think it's a good way to add interest into the game to have special weapons, special characters as allies you can only unlock in missions, and then you need those characters potentially down the road to do other missions. Yeah, especially when like this kind of thing, it helps reinforce a connection between the comics and the game for people. So it'll be a nice little Easter egg for people who have read that. And maybe it'll spark interest in people who have never seen these characters before. Like, oh, who the hell's this? Maybe, let me look this up. And maybe, there might be people who even go back and read back issues because of what they saw in the game. That's true. I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, if that actually spurs interest like that. That would be really cool. And I've tried to focus on, well, obviously the main focus of most of this relates to the War of Light and everything that's going on now. I've also tried to include storylines in the past, not just related to the like the Kyle Rayner run but I know I have a I have a third law mission relating to entropy because I like that storyline a lot so I, I have that one included. <laughs> and and again there's just some other I'm just trying to just trying to think of one pops to mind that is not. I I have been doing a good amount of missions lately related to the, the of events that took place during the Kyle Rayner 
run, especially. And I know since I added the Alan Scott weapon, that I think mm-hmm. I don't. I knew I was thinking that today. I know I have a mission that I want to do that you need the Alan Scott ring for. <laughs> so when I think I have a good character who would be the unlockable, a good hidden character related to <laughs> Alan Scott. Alan's mission should be, like, kill Hitler or something. (laughs) (laughs) So, how big has the game gotten at this point now? Last time, I mean, actually, actually, I have the page open, so I can actually tell you the number. Right now, we have 503 monthly active users. Wow. Wow. And that's, and honestly, that's jumped up a lot in the past month. I mean, I think when I first, when I first started playing the game and then I inquired about, I just, it was just weird how I be, even became an admin because, I mean, I, re- I read his, I found the game by, on a, on a Green Lantern Corps website that I go to and he had a post and, about the Facebook game and I said, let me check it out. And I, I kept contacting him with questions about different missions and, how, you know, how do you do this or are you going to do, add this to the game? And, you know, he asked me if I wanted to be an admin and that kind of how it took off. But certainly we don't, I, I asked, I don't really remember the number of monthly users we had before I started really working on this game a lot, but I think that it's, I would say it's at least doubled since in the last month or so. Wow. It's kind of funny how I, all kidding aside here, like how I got my foot in the door with that, with that Lantern Cast game was, uh, with that uh, War of Light Blackest Night game was uh, similar to how Chad got his foot in the door with, with the podcast but see sometimes you just have to go out there and you just have to it's about networking people that's that's the lesson to take from all this it's about networking even if it's inadvertent it's about networking you just make connections and you know people and you talk to people and sometimes just by being friends with people you get introduced to other people or there's it just kind of that's what it just made me think of when I because I did kind of as I'm listening to to this episode it does remind all this stuff is kind of it's vivid, but it's some of the stuff that fades into memory. Like I actually, I I almost forgot how he stumbled upon. You know, it was just luck of the draw on, on that post in the forum about about the game. Check out, you know, basically check out, check this out, and they did check it out, and that's how one thing led to another. And then because I think because of my interest and my enthusiasm and suggestions, that's why I was asked if I wanted to be an admin on it. And then boom, then it's kind of like uh, the rest is history. It's all history now, but. At the time, it, it, it was it was pretty cool. And you guys obviously have helped that too by mentioning it. There's no doubt about that. I would thank you for that. We get uh, comments, you know, on the uh, the forum and on the Facebook page as far as like, you know, I wasn't going to join the Facebook page, but when you mentioned the game, here I am. It's a good incentive. I mean, sometimes if you have an interest in something, it's just one little thing will spur you on. I remember when. Like the Super Nintendo came out. The main reason I got the Super Nintendo because I wanted to play the Death of Superman game. Which at the time was only was, was only a Super Nintendo game, and eventually they made it for Genesis. But it was like, wow, I want I want to play that game. It looks great. So that's the main reason I got the I got the game system. <laughs> I've done that too. I mean, I want <laughs> I, I wanted to play Super Smash Brothers Melee, and I so I got the GameCube and just haven't looked back. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it takes. They made a Death of Superman video game for Super Nintendo. Yeah. I remember that. Like, there's there were certain parts where like you would have to play as like the Eradicator and like a certain yeah. level where you were Superboy. It was actually a very good. I mean, honestly, I know it's a complete tangent for us, but it's, it's a, it was a very good game. Actually, the graphics, concerning at the time, were pretty cool. But yes, you played you played as all of them. I think the only the only 
I think the only negative was you only played as the cyborg Superman, I think, once. I think you uh. played on one, I think you played like one level of Hank Henshaw, and then before you knew it, he was, he was revealed to be the bad guy, so you were just continually fighting him or, or his machinations in the game, so. Yeah. That was the game where, like, it started out where you, fu- you play as Superman, yeah. and you fight Doomsday, and you get killed. Like, no matter what you do, even if you win, right. you just you fall over dead. Killed, essentially, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you could do nothing, or you could fight him for, like, an hour, and it would, it would the result would be exactly the same. Yep, that's, the way, that's like the, the second screen or whatever, the second level, and then, then you come back as the four different Superman, and then... I, I still have my, uh, my own Super Nintendo, so I'm going to try and look for that game now. I'm, yeah, I'm sure you can get it cheap. I ha- I do have it, and then eventually I got it from my friend. When it came out for Genesis, I got it from my friend, too. But I don't think the Genesis... Can- Actually, I don't think the Genesis played exactly the same, so I think the Super Nintendo was still a better version of the game. So... Ah, uh, yes, the death the death of Superman game. It is kind of funny how... how- well, I guess maybe it's not so funny when you think about, at least from my introduction into Green Lantern with... Green Lantern 46 being the reign of the Superman tie-in, that I guess maybe it is kind of appropriate that that I wax poetic even in this episode again about, inadvertently, about about that storyline when it came to at least to the video game version. And it also reminded me that I think I think this is well after I was on the show, but I know as, as we did further and further, or been further and further along and had more complicated missions. I know there definitely was a, you know, like, there was a Reign of the Superman mission. There might have been two Reign of the Superman missions. I'm trying to remember. I did I did that with some, because I forget, I forget the number of levels you could have on one mission. So, so I think sometimes I ended up, I ended up splitting it up and things like that. But that's what the one thing, looking back at the game, I kind of regret, I kind of regretted not having more multiple stage missions early. Not like five, six, but at least like three three levels. I think that would have been that would have been cooler. Though it was time consuming and it kinda of, did kind of stink from a re- even even as an admin it stunk when you were trying to test out a mission to see exactly what you would get as a reward that if you were letting it go in real time and, and, and not just speeding it up, it was it was kinda of was a drawback, but it it was a nice feature of the game. I do remember that. Well, uh, Dan, what do you say we uh, we jump into news now? Oh, well, before that... Right, well, first, yeah, where can they find this game? Like, let's tell them... Yeah. Well, uh, the Facebook game, I, well, Super Nintendo, you know. <laughs> where can they find the Facebook game? That would probably be a little more difficult. Well, the, I'm trying to get the, the best way to give the link, but we know it's Lantern, Lantern Core War is the name of the game. Obviously, you can find the links on the, on the Lantern Cast page. You can find the links on... My page, Mark Marble, a Facebook page, and I think you probably, probably just did a search for Lantern Core War. It probably would come up. I can double check that. But we'll also have a link in our show notes for this right, episode. Right, because it's but Facebook links is just kind of it's just kind of wacky. Actually, I think it will come up because I started punching Lant and the Lantern Core War and the Lantern Cast both came up came up as options for things you could click on. It's probably a good time. Uh, actually, like I, I think when when uh, I give out the links to people, I actually give them the link to the Lantern Cast team profile. That's true too. Actually, that's a good idea. That is a good idea to do that. I don't think that's working at this exact moment, but oh well. Yeah, I just I just opened Facebook, 
I went to the search bar. I, I put in the letter L A and it came up. So you can right. Find that's it. what I just did on on mine too. And I'm glad it works whether you're logged in or not, or whether you're a part of the game or not. But I punched in Lance, and like I said, the two things that popped up was Lantern Core War and you guys. So that's a pretty good company, and that makes it pretty easy to find. <laughs> the groups were cool. I do remember. I do remember the groups. It was kind of cool having different. Uh, comp- not well. Technically, I guess they were competing groups, but it's like wh- whoever getting the most members and things like that. And I, I forget, I forget how it worked. Um, from a, if, the, if you got additional points or something, if you had more members, there was something. There was something about it. I, I but I don't remember the specifics about it. It didn't. This, I think it. It was like an accumulative. Maybe it was an accumulating thing that it was a cumulative amount of points you would get as a. From a ranking perspective, I think that's what it was. It was it, it was different groups depending on like the levels you had and 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 how and how many people you had advanced to certain levels. That's what I think is the way it worked. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I guess uh, while we're on the same topic, yeah, um, join our Facebook page and they'll have links right there to the Lantern Core War. And you'll also help bring us up to a hundred or more Facebook friends at that point. You're such a Facebook whore. Uh, <laughs> gotta get that hundred. Gotta get that hundred. Oh, and you when you know what happens? Oh, that, you, you'll see. You'll see what it, what happens when it happens. He has nothing. He has nothing. And when you join the game, when you start playing the Lantern Core War game, then uh, join up with Team Lantern Cast. It's uh, it's the coolest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jim. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think, yeah, we're, we're still in number one place. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying the game as much. It's, I'm glad that it's, people are finding it interesting, and I'm glad that it's getting better, because it's kind of taken off, and it's, and it's good, because it's, it's, you don't find many things related to our interests like that, certainly on Facebook at the moment, so it certainly comes in handy, especially with the Blackest Night being in the mid, midway point. So it's, mm. Anything to take Farmville down a peg. <laughs> I have not played Farmville. Just being addicted to this own game, even even now, it's even worse being on the admin end too. But it's but it's uh, from the addiction point of view. But I can just ima- I can just imagine I've been doing more than one of these games. <laughs> uh, okay, so now let's segue into news. Yeah. You got anything, Dan? Not really. You? Oh yeah, I got some stuff. Like first off. Uh, as we record this episode, just yesterday, Doom Patrol number four came out. This was the Blackest Night tie-in, and if you had a good comic book store nearby, oh God. or were ordering through DCBS, you would get a yellow ring along with your comic. That's right, the first of the rings came out. Yeah, if you didn't have a good local comic book shop nearby, then maybe they got a few issues of Doom Patrol, but... No rings. Do, do you want to tell your story? Do you? I kind of remember where this is going, so this should be this should be interesting. But it certainly it certainly reminds me of how how big a deal it was getting all the plastic rings, uh, which I will openly admit. In case anybody still needs some blackest night rings, I still have a crap ton of them. Not of all the colors, though. I am still. I never had a big stash of green. I never had a big stash of. I'm trying to remember what black. But I, I know even to this day, I still have a ton, tons of orange, tons of white, tons of blue. 
and I think tons of yellow because I because you I I was able to get I was able to get get them on eBay I think I was able to get bags of of, of the rings and then I was able to pick and with through my comic shop if I if I needed some I was able to get some but I think I was able to get whole bags and stuff on uh, on eBay for for a decent price. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I had to go to three shops before finally finding one that had the rings. And I knew that the third shop would have it because it's the place that I usually go to, but, like, in my travels, it was kind of out of the way for that day. So the first shop, they had ordered the rings, but they never came in for whatever reason. So I was out of there, no Doom Patrol. I hit the next place, and... The guy had, like, 10 to 15 issues of Doom Patrol on the counter, and he decided, he said, he's like, yeah, I wasn't going to order the minimum to order the rings. So I cut out of there, went to my regular shop, and sure enough, they had stacks of them, bags of rings, no problem. That's much less yelly than the version I heard off air. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm more calm now. Maybe because it was only the yellow ring. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, yellow ring is totally burned you know what I'm, what I'm interested to see I think the this was what number 4 so I think Doom Patrol 5 is a Blackest Night tie in too but there's no ring attached so I am I wonder how, what the sales are going to look like for that oh I'll, I'm definitely ordering it I we won't go into this issue right now because you have to wait to get yeah, it I'll, I'll get it next week but like, I have to say, like, this is now my first issue of Doom Patrol, because I haven't gotten a chance to read the previous issues. And I liked it. I definitely liked it. So now I'll, I'll get issue five. I'll try and go get the first three issues. It's good stuff. I definitely liked it. Nice. And, and there was a, an article on BleedingCool.com as far as, you know, it's like it's selling out super fast, like at most places. And the distributors are completely out of the Sinestro Core rings. So it's a definite uh, spike in sales. Oh, in other news, you cheated on the Lantern cast with another show. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was a guest on the Comic Addiction podcast. As of this particular moment, the episode is not up, but I'm sure it'll be up by the time that this episode airs. So head over to thecomicaddiction.com check out the Blackest Night Halfway was it the, the Halftime Report they called it? Yeah, like Halftime Show or something. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was it was very cool going on their show. It, it, it was nice not having to uh, deal with a co-host. Easy. <laughs> kind of funny. Not about the co-host thing, but I think... Actually, it's not, that's not where I thought Jim was going to go with this, listening to it. I just I thought he was going to be more, maybe because I'm thinking of, mostly, probably because I'm thinking of myself. Just how it is, when you go on someone else's show, it is somewhat, it is, it's weird, but it's, that I find that I do find that it's easier going on someone else's show often than doing doing your own show. At least, I mean, this show, doing the Lantern cast. I do find it, e- I just think it's, some, I don't know, it's liberating in a way, even if you, even if you don't know exactly what's coming at you, but you know what the general topic is. I think sometimes it's, I don't know, it's maybe like it's a pressure thing that there's just less pressure there, 
it's weird, but I, that's what that's what I've reminded me of when Jim was talking about when where I thought he might be going with this. <laughs> Just kidding. I've talked of replacing you before, and I've talked of replacing you. Oh, like, but come on, I'm the talent. Come on. <laughs> it's funny that you think that. And talking of replacements, while well, I'm looking looking around, maybe maybe that was fate. Maybe that was fate. But but of course we know. Uh, Chad already had his foot in his door, foot his foot in the door, as the case would be for that. But and, and then he took me, and then he pulled me out of the gutter. Right? That's that's we got we got we got to stick we got to stick with the quote unquote origin. <laughs> he brought me along, people. <laughs> Did you give their website? I don't remember. Yeah, thecomicaddiction.com. They're also on iTunes under you know comic the comic addiction podcast. Check it out. Listen to me some more if you can't get enough of me. I assume they're all spoilers, or? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, there's uh, one other piece of news. The DC Halloween Special 09 came out, like, what was it, a week or two ago now? It came out the Wednesday before Halloween. I actually got it on... This is great, because I get everything through DCBS, and, like, my box showed up that Friday, and Halloween was the next day, so it was perfect timing. Yeah, that, that would really kind of stink if uh, you got this after Halloween. Yeah, I even waited, so I'm like, I'm going to wait and read this Halloween night after work. And your thoughts? On, well, on specifically on the Green Lantern story. Yes. Because there's an eight-page Green Lantern story. It was written by Adam Schlagman. Is that how we say his name? Yeah, yeah, that's Schlagman. Yeah, and yeah, that guy. And it was drawn by Mark Bagley of a of a Ultimate Spider-Man fame. And also the Justice League America run now. Yeah, and he drew Trinity. Um, I gotta tell you, the first half of this, I didn't like it at all. And then we got to like that two-page spread with like the bazillion panels on it, where it's it's kind of almost subtly and not really subtly contrasting. Halloween now for Guy Gardner versus Halloween as a kid for Guy Gardner when his, like, abusive alcoholic father made it something terrible. Mm. And it was like, it really hits you with, like, oh, this is why he's so focused on making Halloween a really good thing and a big deal in his adult life. Like, I liked that. I thought, like, everything else was like, okay... I actually, I actually, I read this. It's eight pages long. I read it in two sittings because I had to like kind of walk away from it for a little while because I just got bored. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I, I love the whole thing. I actually, you know, reading the first half, you know, you have guy going around trying to, uh, you know, get everybody to come to his big Halloween party. You got that that big uh, splash page with all the different people in some in costume, some not in costume. The the two page spread where it's got all the different panels that that was pretty cool with the the contrast and then of course the last two pages was fantastic yeah about that ending I feel like I feel like they went a little far <laughs> for for no reason like okay ice shows up in like a sexy guardian outfit okay. That's fine. Then, like, they make reference of 
you know, her and Guy going off and, like, like doing their couple thing in costume. Okay, whatever. That's, you know, Guy, that, that's, you expect that from Guy Gardner. Okay. <laughs> then in the last panel, they, it's not even implied, they flat out say, we're going to go have a three-way with a construct you make. Like, that's, like, why? <laughs> Uh, well, I can't really defend that, but... No, you can't! <laughs> I like her costume a lot, so... This is funny. It gets a pass from me. Let me... Well, I'll ask both of you guys this, but, like, what do you think of Mark Bagley's art in this? Because, like, there's some stuff I thought was good. And I should preface this by saying, like, the guy's taking a lot of flack for his DC work. I haven't seen enough of it to say overall, well, he's not doing good with DC stuff. I'm just judging it on this. Yeah. And, like, like, a lot of this looked really weird. Like, the characters don't look quite right, you know? There were some panels that uh, I definitely agree with you. Um, like, on the first page of the story, the, the bottom half of the page, the middle panel, like, Guy's face right there. It, it just, it looks a little odd. But, you know, like, I guess overall, like, you know, there were a lot of things that I really did like about the art. Like, that one full-page spread with everybody in or not in costume. Yeah, that was another thing that bugged me. Like, almost nobody was dressed up. Well, they're Green Lanterns. No, still, that's like, that's like wearing your work clothes to work on casual Friday, or, you know? <laughs> Man. This is one of those parts of this episode that I kind of remembered that I was quieter than I probably should have been. That's where either ner- either nerves came in or I was looking to be prompted more because jumping in seems inappropriate. That's kind of listening to this now. That's what it reminds me of uh, trying to be. I mean, doing it out of being trying to be respectful and all, but you look, go back and you listen now. It's like, yeah, I probably should have spoken up more. I would have been a better quote unquote guest for the whole for the whole show as opposed to just having the beginning segment in moments. But that's just maybe me being a little too critical of myself, but or whatever. I there are two two bits in here that I thought were really funny. First of all, Isamot dressed like Hawkman. Yeah. That was great. That was good. And and did you catch Kilowog dressed like the anti monitor? Oh, that was Kilowog? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well did you see uh you said you commented on Isamot um, I believe, uh, was it Bath? Oh, was that him in the Adam Strange? Yeah, exactly. Oh, cool. Okay. That was, so yeah, that was good. I think I liked the, uh, the Flash Superman race more. Oh. Oh, what you call it? Uh, Mark, did you get a chance to read this issue? Sadly, I feel like a bad Lantern cast and Green Lantern fan guest here that no, I did not actually get that issue. I don't, I don't know. I might have been gone by the time I got to my comic store because that was last week. It would have been. It definitely wasn't pulled for me, I know that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's good. As, as anthologies go, it was pretty good. Like, I haven't tried a DC holiday special, I think, ever. I just got it on impulse. Um, which actually reminds me, there's a Kid Flash story in here that's just, I think, really clever. Like, you know the whole, like, Bloody Mary, like, myth or whatever? Like, you say Bloody Mary three times into a mirror and this, like, dead woman shows up to kill you or whatever, or something? There's a Flash villain named Mirror Master who travels between mirrors, and he is basically, he's running 
from her, and he's trying to break every mirror in sight because it's Halloween and she's coming out of them. And it's just it, it was it was nicely done. I liked it. Oh wow, I didn't even read that one. I yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to read all of them, but uh, of the ones that I did read, I loved. I definitely liked the the Superman Flash race. The Wonder Woman story was kind of neat, and yeah, I like that one. The the Superman story was okay. I actually really liked the Bizarro story. I don't really like. I kind of did. I I liked moments of it. Like I thought him mowing somebody's lawn as an act of vandalism was really cool. <laughs> but like I feel I feel like nobody ever really quite gets how to do Bizarro. You know, like like the backwards thing. Like it's almost like they try and force the backwards thing when it doesn't work. You know, like they don't take it far enough it's weird to say so what about outside of comics like what did you guys do for halloween like i was at work all day and all night <laughs> uh let's see mine will be short because there wasn't any not anything overly interesting i was i i went to dinner with my girlfriend and unfortunately she didn't been doing a lot of work lately and she was really tired so we pretty much didn't do do much other than we went home and she had never watched Halloween before, so we had actually watched Halloween for she watched Halloween for the first time. That was that was un- the exciting evening that I had for Halloween. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but if I'm sure I'm sure other people would have would have more of an interesting Halloween story to tell. That <laughs> this being her first time, did she find it scary? Actually, unfortunately, no, she didn't. Ah. <laughs> uh. I think I think she's been spoiled by seeing other horror movies that have all come down the pike since. So you kind of know the whole, oh yeah, he's dead, no, he's not dead. And so I guess I think the impact of Halloween, especially if you if you if you see it for the first time and you haven't seen eight thousand other horror movies, I think it has much, should have much more of an impact on you. But I think in a way she was kind of jaded, no pun intended, because of <laughs> that. So so I was yeah I was I was kind of hoping she would enjoy it more than she did. But at least it was on Blu-ray, so at least it looks really good. <laughs> At least I fit in. I snuck in that jaded ref, that jade jaded reference. Maybe that was for you, Chad. Uh, yes, Halloween. Uh, obviously, we talk about Halloween quite a lot on the on the show over the years too. So yes, that was. Even when I just was listening to this part, that's where I thought I was going to go with it. I just could I could, couldn't remember if that's if that was the year, quote unquote. But I I was kind of hoping when I started to talk, I was like, yeah. We saw Halloween as opposed to, I did nothing at all. Which it's not too far from it, but nonetheless. <laughs> uh, uh, what about you, Jim? I ended up going to uh, a friend's house. Uh, you know, Eric, who we've had on the show. Um, yeah, Best Buy parking lot, yeah. Yeah, right. Best Buy parking lot, Eric. He, uh, <laughs> he and his girlfriend, they invited us over. Um, it was her birthday earlier in the week, so we were celebrating the birthday. We got dressed up in costumes, and there was a chance that we might have, you know, were going to go out to, you know, go to a bar or something like that. That ended up not happening, and we just stayed in and watched uh, Dawn of the Dead. So <laughs> did did they decide not to go out because they w- didn't want to take Jim in his Guy Gardner vest? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually. Yeah, no, I had a few uh, few different ideas for costumes, but like none of none of it actually materialized in time. 
So I ended up going as a mad scientist. Ah. Uh. Yeah, I wanted to go as a uh, a Green Lantern Jedi. That that was that was what I was shooting for, but uh, alas, <laughs> it was not to be. I just wore a shirt to work that says "I don't work here," and it's a da- it's the damnedest thing. Nobody asked me any questions all day. <laughs> Sometimes it's those subtle costumes that obviously that's a, that's another lesson from from this episode for Halloween folks. It's the subtle costumes apparently that do the job. Uh, that was kind of cute on Dan's part. I, and Jim's was the idea the idea of the Green Lantern Jedi it's crossing over between two. Two properties that mean a lot, and to me, I also think have a lot in common. But obvious, and both and both have fallen on hard times as we're recording this in 2020. So it may, maybe there's a, even more in common that they both have risen and fallen in, in, at different times, and, and neither one is exactly at it hitting on all cylinders as we speak. That's nice. What do you say we take a break on that note and come back? with the majority of the episode. How many times has a thought crossed your mind that the only people reading comics are 40-year-old white dudes? Well, I'm here to break that wall down. Hello, everybody. My name is Alec Barry, and I am the host of Teenage Wasteland, a solo cast each and every week showcasing my experiences growing old with comic books, movies, and music. You can find my show at teenagewastelandpodcast.blogspot.com or you can go over to the comic forums at thecomicforums.com and find the show thread. You can also find the show in iTunes and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash alec underscore Barry. I hope that you all join in and listen and I will see you on the boards. Old school promos. Gotta love it. Okay, and we're back. So uh, what's going on today, Dan? Well, we're about to get into our big old stack of books but uh just want to take well, let me get this up here okay uh everything we're talking about tonight blackest night number four regularly 399 was 239 through dcbs green lantern blackest night titans and superman each of them 299 gotta love the mood music gotta love that they began in a comic shop all 179 through dcbs that's 40 percent off the cover price I mean, there's a lot of Blackest Night tie-ins still to come, and Discount Comic Book Service can help you get them all mailed right to your door. It's DCBService.com for all your space zombie needs. You go, Dan. You go. So, what do you want to start with? I believe we should probably start with Superman Blackest Night number three. All right. This. <laughs> yeah, I remember you telling me like you couldn't wait to see what I thought of the conclusion of this thing. Oh yeah. Alright, just just a quick rundown. Uh, it opens in the middle of everything, you know. Supergirl's fighting her father on New Krypton. Superman's fighting other Superman and Superboy in Smallville. Psycho Pirate's doing his psycho-y, piratey things. Ma Kent's being her, you know, her usual badass self. Crypto disarms. Haha, <laughs> see what I did there? Black Lantern Lois and kills her somehow. The Kryptonians figure out how to make a shield to keep out Black Lanterns somehow. Uh, Connor Kent, <laughs> Connor Kent breaks free of Psycho Pirate's hold, somehow. steals his mask, and uses it to kill the Black Lantern, Superman, and and Psycho Pirate. And then Clark and Connor resolve to go out and keep fighting the good fight after they rebuild the entire town of Smallville. So. 
this one, I mean, I, I, granted, this this was not a good ending. This is <laughs> just like Batman before it. It ended on like a kind of vague, well, the bad guys are gone. Live to fight another day. Let's spread the word and help our friends. Kind of note. Yeah. But I will say this for it. I like how they got rid of the Black Lanterns. Because Psycho Pirate's mask evokes emotion. So, like, when Connor used it on Black Lantern Superman, it's like he's hitting with, like, the full spectrum at once, which is basically what it takes to kill a Black Lantern anyway. So that made sense to me. Right. Yeah. Well, well like, let me stop you right there, because, <laughs> like, okay, so we see him take out Superman, Black Lantern Superman. But with Psycho Pirate, he's, like, headed towards him, says, here, creep, look at me, and he's just holding the mask, like, you know, far away from his face, and, like... That's been the moment before. But, like, they, they, like, clip away from the Psycho Pirate thing, and then, like, the next thing you know, you have, you know, Connor just, like, popping up and looking at, you know... Black Lantern Superman with the mask with a ring attached to it. Like, they, they couldn't be bothered with showing you, you know, him getting, you know, Psycho Pirate getting taken out. Like, uh, it's just, yeah, well, the ring's on there, so you just kind of assume that Psycho Pirate was killed with the mask also. Yeah. I think they wanted to save it as a surprise, just in, like, because, I mean, really, the big villain of this was Black Lantern Superman, so they wanted that, like, maybe to keep it ambiguous for, like, an extra page until you got to see him taken out. What are, you, what are your thoughts, Mark? I do think that the part... I do agree that the Psycho Pirate part seemed to be kind of, like, glossed over in a way. That... I'm not sure... I, that could be why they did it. They could have... Since the main focus was fighting, you know, Kal-El, you know, Black Lantern Superman, that... Maybe they just didn't feel it was necessary. You would assume it by what, by what you would see, what you see happen to uh, Black Lantern Superman. I did like how they. I I also did. I agree. I did like how they got rid of Black Lantern Superman by basically making a Black Lantern feel, and then having all the parts of the emotional spectrum kind of hit him at once and like short circuit the Black Lantern. Kind of following the theme that we're kind of seeing throughout all the issues of basic of the same kind of idea of how you stop a black lantern crossing over the emotional spectrum or just having no emotion or having complete lack of emotion really being completely unaffected by emotion and they all seem to have the same effect of without a, without emotion black lantern is kind of useless it can't do what it needs to do and if it and if you force a black lantern to feel it's almost like hitting it with the white light itself all over again too the white light of creation so mm. i didn't i did think the ending was high, a little high and dry but not quite as high and dry as batman Batman seemed really high and dry. I came by read it's like, wow, yeah, the, this is kind of somewhat interesting, maybe, but no, I was disappointed. At least, at least you get a little bit more closure, I think, in the end of uh, Blackest Night Superman than you did. Yeah, that. I agree with that. But kind of on that point, there are right, there's there are three things that really stuck out to me about this issue, okay. and one of them is directly on that point. And the, like the three things are all bad. <laughs> All right. In terms of closure, there's really no resolution to Black Lantern Lois, because like all they did was like Crypto ripped her arm off and hit her with heat vision. Yeah, it's like she's she should still be out there. Um, <laughs> did, did like did either you notice as you finish reading this 
there was nothing on Pocket. One of the big things going into this miniseries was like, oh man, they're going to bring back Superman's dad. Like who, you know, Jeff Johns just recently killed before Blackest Night. So it's like, and and they didn't address his body at all in this in this issue. Like, like okay, if they're going to stop him from becoming a Black Lantern somehow. But I, I just thought it was so weird that it just wasn't mentioned again. That was the whole reason for doing it was just because they knew that would get the emotional reaction out of of Superman and Superboy, and that was the main reason why they that maybe the maybe the intent or Black Lantern Superman's intent was never really to raise Pa Kent, but just to try to get force the force all those emotions out of Superman and and Connor, and then use that to be able to get get their hearts. So maybe I mean yes, it seems like it was kind of like a a red herring kind of like thrown out there to get you to think that, oh, he's gonna, they're going to raise him, they're going to raise him. I definitely do agree that they didn't, they kind of didn't touch upon it again. They kind of get you in issue one, and that's kind of where it stands. Well, I, I, th- I think it's probably more to the effect that they were allowed to show his, you know, his grave or whatever, but they weren't allowed to bring him back because that's probably what they're going to, you know, pull out in, like, you know, the last few issues, like the big guns, basically. Yeah. Well, at least we got to see Ma Kent kick some ass, huh? <laughs> yeah. And my big dis- like my last big disappointment was like Black Lantern Superman is like a non character in this issue. Like he's like the big bad of the story and he got so much page time and so much dialogue in the first two issues. Here he speaks like twice and he's like you could count on one hand almost the t- amount of times he's on panel. It's so <laughs> it's like it's like they shifted the focus away from him completely at the end. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, the, the 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 two other points that I, I didn't really like was, you know, like, Connor, he's completely under the control of Psycho Pirate, and, like, he just snaps out of it, like, at the very last moment, like, just like that. You know, like, there's, no, no, there's nothing to really, I guess, you know... Uh, Justify it. Exactly. Yeah, that that's, that's exactly it. It's just like, you know, what what's... It just seems so arbitrary. Like, oh, he's under the, his control. There's no way that, you know, he can, you know, get out of the control. Superman is, like, saying things to him. Like, you know, I'm your brother, and, you know, you know, you can't do this. You have to snap out of it. That doesn't work at all. But, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm going to kill you. And, you know, then all of a sudden it's like, then arbitrarily he just snaps out of it. So, yeah, that that I didn't like. And then the other thing is, okay, on New Krypton, I can, I can be okay with the fact that Kryptonians can somehow figure out how to create a generator that keeps away Black Lanterns. You know, they're Kryptonians, whatever. They can do whatever. They have Kryptonian yeah, smart. science. Yeah. But I mean, like, they say, oh, yeah, it, the field is going to generate, like, three miles up, and, you know, you basically have to be inside of it, and he has to be outside of it, you know, when that happens. And, you know, it's not the kind of thing where, like, you know, they team up and punch him as hard as they can to, like, you know, rocket him away from the planet. Like, it's at the very last moment, and the field you know, gets generated, like, it's it's so freaking close, it takes off his hand, and, like, that's it. Like, 
they just saved Supergirl's leg. Like, if Supergirl was, like, you know, an inch further out into space, she would have a few less toes right now. Now, just jumping in here for a moment, uh, also because I haven't said much lately, but it's, I'm kind of, it's almost, but it's because I'm actually trying to, I'm kind of getting into this from the perspective of just listening to them, all of us, but mostly Jim and Dan, go into the details about, because I actually do remember this miniseries. There is some Blackest Night miniseries that I either didn't read or I, they were not very memorable. I do remember, I do remember the Superman one was one I actually think for the most part I liked compared to many of the others. But it's just interesting going, having your, you know, going down memory lane and not just revisiting Blackest Night in, in them when it was going on, which was something special, but just, it reminds you of how big Blackest Night was with all these crossovers and how many, all these minis that had to be reviewed and everything else. So it's kind of cool listening to Jim and Dan, especially go, go into a lot of detail with this. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's just, it's so, it's like suspenseful for the sake of being suspenseful when it doesn't actually make sense. Yeah. I like how they kind of made her mom come off as kind of good in this, because I haven't read the, well, other than the one issue that we read for the show, I haven't read any of New Krypton. I plan to, but everything I'm hearing is like she's basically a real bitch, so I'm, I'm I kind of, I kind of liked her in this issue. I don't know. It's, I, th- I think, I think the new, the new Krypton angle of the story came off the best in this issue. All right, let's we'll move on to t- Titans. Yes. All right, Titans two and three. We're gonna kind of talk about together as one thing. Like basically, this the summary here is like Donna Troy's dead husband and baby show up. The baby bites her. She gets all funky from it. Uh, Wonder Girl and Kid Flash come to save her, but meanwhile, you know, outside, Starfire, Beast Boy, and Cyborg are fighting some dead Titans, including Terra, who sinks the tower into the ground, which leaves, you know, the aforementioned three trapped. Donna starts having some weird seizures as she gets the Black Lantern emblem in her eye. You've got lots of fighting, and then, you know, Hawk, no, what's the other one? Dove. Yeah, Dove, the female current Dove, is fighting against both Black Lantern Hawks, both the original and her sister. Uh, she realizes she can't take both of them, so she goes to the Titans for help. And now it's it's the whole group of them against the, the whole mass of Black Lantern Titans who, you know, their numbers keep growing because you got Tempest, who got killed in the Blackest Night series itself, I think issue two or three. You've got, like, all of these different guys showing up that I don't even recognize half of them. When all of a sudden, back up against the wall, Dove gets this weird vision of the original Dove, Don Hall, just saying, like, you know, you know, you can save him, them, it's not too late, blah, blah, blah. And she just starts emitting this, this white light from her body that just wipes out almost every Black Lantern on sight. I think uh, the male hawk, Tempest, and Terra are the only ones that make it out, you know, quote-unquote, alive. And they fly away. And the Titans have this kind of, you know, well, we've lived to fight another day moment that the other minis have had, too. So, thoughts on this? I liked it. Yeah, me too. I didn't think it was it was too bad at all. I think it was the best one of the of the minis so far. 
Yeah. I think compared to Superman and Batman, I think Titans, even though I don't usually, I don't read Titans on a regular basis. I more or less picked it up because it was a Blackest Night tie-in, this, these three issues. But I did think that it was, it certainly was interesting, and the stuff related to Dove, both the current and the old, I think that, that was interesting enough. And just seeing how, like we kind of talked about before, related to Superman, seeing how there's, essentially there's different ways to stop and destroy Black Lanterns, but they're all kind of along the same basic principle. And I thought that Blackest Night Titans overall was, was good, and even though I guess the ending was in the same vein of of the other two series, that it doesn't, you get some a little bit of resolution, but not much. I, I it seems to, I don't think it bothers me much in in the Titans. I think I think that kind of it intrigues you more. I think it kind of makes whets your appetite a little bit more to see what's going to happen with, as opposed to Superman and Batman, where it does kind of seem like okay, to a certain extent, like what was the point of some of this anyway? Not all of it, but some of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't really read much Donna Troy since she was in Kyle's series all the time. So this is, like, this is one of the first times in, all, in years I've read the character. And she kicks ass. I mean, this, like, she does one of the things that bug the hell out of me about Kilowog. is like, she gets, like, she sees through this. As hard as it is for her to do, she understands what has to be done. She kills, well, she doesn't kill them, but she doesn't know the rings will rebuild them, so for all intents and purposes, she kills these um, these Black Lanterns masquerading as her dead husband and baby. Like, yeah. this had to be the, the hardest thing in the world for her to ever do, and she did it because she knew like, like she knew they had to be stopped. And like, this... And even when they show up again, like, you get that moment where you realize, like, oh my god, she understands she's gonna have to, to go through that a second time, maybe a third, maybe a fourth. Yeah. And, like, it was such a good, like, it makes me want to read more Donna Troy. Yeah, this, I, you know, like, like you were saying, Mark, like, this one seems to have, like, the most, uh, you know, satisfying or, you know, impact. You read this, and it's kind of like giving you a setup that, like, okay, well, now you have Donna Troy, who's got this, you know, this bite from a Black Lantern. By the end of the issue, she's, she's like, looking at them in Black Lantern vision. And, you know, that's, I'm sure that's going to play a part in Blackest Night. And then, you know, the, the character Dove, who can, you know, just kind of take out these Black Lanterns by having them touch her. Or, you know, emitting the, the white light or, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, the, these are, I think, are concepts that are actually going to you know have a role in you know the blackest night story the, this this third issue the second issue and the third issue i think the art was probably a little bit more you know up and down you, know, you had more highs you know and the, the, the highs were higher and the lows were lower kind of thing but uh i mean like i have to say like if ed benes drew a hawk and dove like series or mini series or whatever, I would like buy it in a heartbeat. Oh, I take a Dove book at this point. Like the character is interesting. Yeah, seriously. So I guess we should talk. About it's in. I find it using the jumping on that word interesting is that even as soon as we started revisiting this, or I'm revisiting it when they, when we were doing the review on the show of Titans, it's like I do remember all that bit about Donna Troy and the husband and the baby. So that just shows you that even though, again, I don't read Titans at all, it's just 
it tells you that that mini did have an impact on me, especially because you know I wasn't prone to, to say enjoying it. It's just the fact that I was buying it because oh, it's Blackest Night, and I was supporting Blackest Night, and it was kind of like, and at the and you always when you have these big events, sometimes you don't always, despite what they tell you, you don't always know whether you need to really buy these. Because there's something that's going to happen that's going to be referenced in the main story, and if you don't, you, it's not you're not going to really understand it as well. And some, or sometimes you just get caught up in the event and you just want to read almost everything. And so with Blackest Night, it was so big that I think that, and because and, and like mentioning Doom Patrol earlier about the about the rings, that I think that was a big thing here, making sure people people wanted their wanted their rings. So it's kind of it's it's cool going back and and reminiscing about this. That's another reason why I thought this episode was a good choice for Green Lantern Classics because of uh, the subject matter because it's almost the year anniversary and it has and there's right in the midst of Blackest Night, literally at the halfway point of Blackest Night. About the fact that Dove has this whole white light thing going on. Okay. Now the for, what I've been taking from it is the idea that she's. Well, she, she first of all, her power comes from the Lords of Order, right? Which is these like high-end mystical universal whatevers that are all about order. And we know Don Hall, the original Dove, can't be raised because he's at peace. So I don't know. I'm part of me thinks like maybe because of her connection to the Lords of Order, all of her emotions are in perfect balance, and that's what's giving off this white aura, and that's why she can't be affected by the Black Lanterns like a regular person. Hmm. And why she doesn't give off any... Because, I mean, if you look at any other person on that last page, you know, you know, Starfire is torn between her anger and her compassion and her hope. Whereas, like, Dove is... Like, there's none of that. There's no conflicting emotions. So, like, maybe they're all in perfect harmony with each other. Well, if that was the case, then, then how, that doesn't really explain why Don Hall could not be raised. You know, because, like, it doesn't depend on your emotional state to raise you. It's more along the lines of, if you're there, you know... Well, it, to put it, you know, bluntly, like, if the, the Big Bad has your memory program to download into a ring, then, you know, you can be, you know, raised. So, you know, it makes me think that maybe this is, like, you know, a clue as far as maybe there's not just, you know, the the Big Bad's realm. Right. I mean, overall, like, I don't have a lot of negative things to say about this miniseries, which no. is, like, and this is the one that everyone was like, oh, why the hell are they doing that? This is going to suck. And honestly, when we did the first issue... I was kind of like, eh, because I thought the big reason anyone would care is because of the white light reading on Dove. I thought that would be it. But, like, this was really good. I mean, like, uh, the only thing I really want to bring up is that, like, I thought this was a little weak. They were completely inconsistent with the state of the, uh, of, uh, Donna, Cassie, and Bart being trapped in issue two to issue three. Like, in issue two, when the tower goes, like, falls underground, there's this giant mass of rubble between them and the Black Lanterns, and 
they make a point of saying that, okay, Kid Flash can't use his speed or the vibrations might bring the whole thing down on them. And then in issue three, there's the Black Lantern is just kind of strolling in because there's nothing blocking the way at all. And they have Bart just like running up his costumes, running up to the surface and fighting people. It's like, oh, okay, why not? <laughs> yeah. I have a problem with that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Overall, it was good, so I think that's probably why. Like, yeah. certainly compared to the other other two miniseries so far, I think I think there was enough interesting material in it, made you like kind of thought provoking as far as whether this was going to factor in, not necessarily the eventual outcome of Blackest Night, but just during part of the resolution anyway, or some of the battles that are fought in the in the last four issues or so. I think that makes it worth it alone, and, and it. And the and the white light, yes, the thing related to Dove and and Don Hall and everything. I think it, I just think it all it makes it, it does make it more interesting. And then and then even the, the kind of like the pseudo cliffhanger with uh, Donna Troy makes it interesting because she kind of has that scar look in her eye, and then you just kind of wonder how how that's going to play out as the series goes on, to, as the Blackest Night goes on. And they even made Starfire not annoying anymore. Those <laughs> issue three got amazing. Well, not amazing, but like. <laughs> It, it seems like it's it, it's the lowest point was issue one and it just went up so that's that's good. Uh, shall we head into Green Lantern number forty seven now? Take it. Okay, Abin Sir returns. Uh, this issue starts out. It's got uh, it's on uh, Yasmalt. You have Green Lanterns fighting Red Lanterns fighting Black Lanterns, and you have the uh, the four of the five inversions that were killed by Atrocitus come back as Black Lanterns. They, you know, they're, you know, talking to Atrocitus, and all of a sudden they rip out his heart, at which point it's revealed that Atrocitus doesn't need it because of his red ring that beats for his heart and pumps his blood with his rage. So, you know, he's, uh, he's you know, lives to keep fighting, even without his heart. Meanwhile, over on Korrigar, you have Abin Sir and his sister Arin Sir, and they're using their black rings to take out the light brigade of Hal Jordan, Sinestro, Indigo One, and Carol Ferris. They kind of split up into teams to each take on one of the Black Lanterns, and... You know, Hal's taking on Abin Sir, Sinestro's taking on Arin, and all of a sudden, you know, he, he gets a backup from Indigo One. And uh, we, we see Arin, like, not as a Black Lantern for a second, and then all of a sudden, Green Lantern and everybody else just kind of, like, aims their light and destroys both of the Black Lanterns. But before Abin Sir... Wait, is that a bin or a rin? That's Abin. Yeah, but before a bin gets, you know, kaput, he says, Indigo, I know you. I, and that's it. He's gone. Hal Jordan asks Sinestro. Obviously, we, we go back now, because this is something, I, listening to this is cool, because I forgot, even forgot about uh, some of the details on this in this particular issue, but clearly that is foreshadowing the... Uh, Abin Sir's role in the in the uh, Indigo Tribe's creation, which of course is somewhat referenced in the cryptic oath of the 
Indigo Tribe, but that's ob- that clearly is what you know, Black Lantern Abin Sur was referring to, the fact that basically he was the one who basically was responsible for his tra- Basically responsible for the journey that would lead Indigo One to becoming Indigo One, uh, based on her criminal background and being rehabilitated, <laughs> kind of a la John Kramer and Saw in a way the way the, the Indigo Tribe rings work. But it's, uh, but that's when I'm listening to Jim talk here. That's what it reminds me of this that that journey that we're on uh, with uh, some of the seeds that Jeff Johns plants, the, the good Jeff Johns planting the seeds that eventually he knows that are, gr- are going to grow into something. Astro, who was she? And he says, a bin sister. Who was she to you? Nobody. So, you know, he's basically, uh, you know, wants to put that out of his head. Now they all have like a little powwow again saying, okay, who's going to lead, blah, 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 blah. Of course, Hal Jordan, he wants to be in the pilot seat. They decide to go get some help, and they got to first get the help of the Blue Lanterns because they're the only ones who can put out the fire of the Red Lanterns. Then we clip to Zanshi in Sector 1313. You have Jon Stewart. He comes down to the planet. He sees what appears to be a Green Lantern power battery in the, you know, muck. And there's a Black Lantern that's, like, watching him who has a Green Lantern ring on her finger. I'm suspecting that it's a her, but we don't actually know yet. Then we clip to Odom, the homeworld of the Blue Lantern Corps. The Blue Lanterns are, you know, still getting, you know, beaten by the Orange Lanterns. When, just in the nick of time, the Light Brigade pops in there to recruit St. Walker. And... That's the exact same moment that the orange lanterns just start to disappear, probably because Agent Orange is, uh, you know, otherwise preoccupied. <laughs> uh, we clip to Okara, and we see why <laughs> Agent Orange yeah. Larflees is occupied. It's because he's got a whole bunch of black lanterns that are the, you know, the fallen, that, uh, the fallen orange lanterns that, you know, he killed. They're all coming after him. And just as they're about to get him, they, I guess they're destroyed or, you know, otherwise sent away because in comes Atrocitus, who wants Larflees' power battery. And that's it. You're really married to this light brigade name, aren't you? I just needed something to call him. Okay. Probably better than the dream team, so. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to call them those guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, something I picked up on, which I have a feeling you'll have more to say about than I will. Right. But uh, Hanu's ring identifies the inversions as coming from Riot. That's the planet that the uh, Black Central Battery is on. And I don't think we knew that. I don't think we knew they were from there. Well, um, you know, it's it's weird because it, it almost seems like they're, you know, playing, like, you know, fast and loose with the uh, Riot and Yasmalt, you know, kind of thing. Like, where people came from. 
Like, I'm sure that once they give the explanation on the massacre of Sector 666, because it's all in Sector 666. Yeah. So, you know, whether or not they were massacred here or there or one place or the other. Like, one of the things that I was uh, noticing was that story that we read in the Green Lantern Corps Quarterly. It's about to bring that up. Yeah, like, that was all on the planet Ysmalt. I think in there it referenced Ysmalt as being the, the Empire's throne world. So, like, that yeah. could be where they rule from, but not where their home is, you know? Yeah, yeah, I chalked that up to we're going to have to wait and see to clear all that up. Uh, one more thing about that same panel. Why the hell would the Guardians let even a reference to the massacre exist? Because, I mean, like, he's, he has this ring, oh, who are these people? He says, oh, this is who they are. You know, sub-reference, Massacre of, of Space Sector 666 Classified. Like, why, why even have? Why even let the rings do that? Why give them that amount of information? It's like we killed this whole region of space. We don't want anybody to know about it. But if you Google it, it'll tell you. Oh, sorry, this web page about the massacre of Sector Six 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 is not available. Oh, it might be the kind of thing where, because you're face to face with the foreign versions right now. The ring feels that you need like a tiny little nugget of more of information. Oh, maybe. Oh. You know, it's like it's the kind of thing where you're doing a Google search on your cell phone, but like if you did a Google search when you were on OA, then it wouldn't come up with any results. But if you do a Google research, you know, search like you know when your you know GPS says that you're in a specific location then it would come up with, you know, different results that get unlocked because of your GPS location. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just picturing the Google logo with Mogo as one of the O's. Gotta love that, gotta love that in-depth thought process that Jim, Jim just gave us there about, uh, about the... trying to explain why, yes, why the Guardians would... Which is, I think it was a good point by Dan, too, the idea that, oh, yes, we're gonna... We're gonna have like we're we're gonna have the events be able to be you know to be to be labeled so you can understand that oh if you find this bit of information which is only going to whet your appetite to find out more even if you have to search for it elsewhere as opposed to just striking it from the archives kind of like what happened in Attack of the Clones when when uh, but Dooku was able to wipe out I think wipe out Kamino from the from the from the records of. Uh, the Jedi archive, so they were never able to find where the location of the cloning planet was. <laughs> and this, so on something that you brought up, can a black ring make a black lantern look like a normal person if they want to? Because Aaron does it here for a minute, and it was bugging the hell out of me that Black Lantern Jade over in Green Lantern Corps doesn't look like a corpse. Martian Manhunter kind of did that too, didn't he? He did. I, I at first thought that was just because he was a shapeshifter. That's true, too. Yeah, I, I think I chalked that up to him being a shapeshifter in those issues. I mean, I guess it's not that big of a stretch, considering, like, these things can reform your body from nothing. So I guess if they felt the desire to, they could regenerate a little further for appearances, but I don't know. And to get the emotional response, too. Yeah. Yeah, because like that panel there where she just looks back at Sinestro, she pro- looks like like a little loving, a little vulnerable. Like that would probably help her cause. 
Yeah. Especially because one of the things that surprised well, didn't surprise me entirely because you've kind of seen it coming, but it's still been, it's one of those things where it's like a big turning point or a big scene in a movie that makes you feel like really pumped, even though you kind of know it's coming when it happens, it still makes you feel that way. That Sinestro feels compassionate, and that's probably one of the, one of the, the one emotion in the spectrum you probably figured you were un, the most unlikely to see Sinestro feel throughout any of this would be compassion. Yeah. So I kind of, so it would make sense I related to her that he would feel compassion. Yeah. I think I remember them saying earlier, like, compat, like, real compassion is one of the more rare emotions you can find. Right. In the universe. So, like, that says a lot that he was feeling it. Um, the, uh, the thing where Abin Sir says, uh, Indigo, I know you, I, and then the connection is severed. I mean, like, they're, they're really, really setting up Indigo 1 as, as somebody, somebody important. Yeah, I was really hoping we would get more of that here. You know, my, my theory so far has been that it's, uh, it is actually Aaron Sir, you know, where you have to die and, like, give up everything, including your body, to, to become a, an Indigo Lantern. Well, we're wrong on that one. But, um, <laughs> I don't know, like, they they had said stuff about you know that we'd see Sinestro's sister at some point. They had said that at a convention, well, Jeff Johns. Well, I I mean if it if Indigo One was her was his sister, I think like we would have seen or heard something by now, especially from Sinestro, or he would have had some kind of reaction to her. Unless she looks completely different than she used to. I know someone speculated that, I think I mentioned it to Jim at one point uh, when we were talking, uh, that uh, someone speculated that, um, that it might be Abinsur's wife, The Indigo One could be Abinsur's wife, which would, mm-hmm. which would be why that he would, she would have the connection to Abin and also know, and know of Sinestro. That's Another true. wrong guess. I'm sticking to my theory that, he's, that she's some random person he helped and... Went from there. Yeah, but at this, well, now you have Abin Sir knowing her also. Obviously, Dan is closest to being dead on based on this <laughs> discussion about about Indigo One. So, well, no, I mean like some random person that Abin Sir helped and just told like, hey, if you run into this guy Sinestro, he's my best friend. He'll help you. Did uh, did Abin Sir have a daughter? I don't know. I don't think so. That we know of. I mean, that we know of. There's so much about his past that we have no idea about, so, you know, anything's fair game. Like, this could have been his live-in housekeeper. We have no idea. <laughs> Indigo One could have walked his dog every Tuesday. Because, <laughs> I mean, if it's his daughter, like, say he had a daughter that, you know, when he died, she was very young. He would have no idea what she looks like now. None of them would have, have any idea what she looks like now. But... Like, you know, he could all of a sudden be like, you know, wait a second, I just saw, like, a glimmer in her eye. Could that be? It is fun going back and listen to, and I know there's more of it coming in this episode about speculation about different things related to Blackest Night, since literally we're only halfway through the main series at this point. It's it's really funny to listen to all of us try to, like, predict what's coming. Here you go. I know you. You're my daughter, you know? But then it's too late. You know, I don't know. I think ultimately, I think it's gonna, the answer is going to be something simple. Because like Black as Night as a whole, for as much as going on, like it's it's 
not that complicated of a story. I don't think they're going to take like too many really crazy twists and turns with this. You know? Mm. Thoughts on Zanshi? Zanshi? Like, you mean the obligatory one page of Jon Stewart? <laughs> yeah. That I, I'm really wondering if they're going to go through with giving him a whole damn issue. I got to... Um, I really like the kind of photo-negative city. That was nice and creepy. Yeah. I have two questions about Zanshi. Is that Katma, and why the hell is that green ring still there? Or the battery, for that matter. Yeah. I don't know. I just, like, ugh. Like, part of, part of me's tempted to just, like, like rip out all of the Jon Stewart pages from the last, like, the last six months and bind them together into one issue so we have, like, a Jon Stewart narrative or a part of the story instead of just, like, having it, like, piecemeal all over the place. Um, what you call at the bottom of that page, like, just to the left of Jon Stewart, there's, like, a little bit of rubble, and it almost looks like it could be, like, a, a symbol, like, one of the symbols for the, uh, the different light cores. Yeah. Um. Well, kind of like hope. Yeah, like, either hope or possibly, like, fear, maybe, but I wonder if that's, like, you know, a clue as far as... You know, what they had said as far as Zanshi not being as innocent as he thought in the War of Light. Yeah, I hope I can't wait for the Jon Stewart. Is the Jon Stewart issue next issue? Um, I don't know. It's the one after, isn't it? The one after it? I think it's the one after, because the, the next one is the one that had St. Walker solicited on the cover. So you assume that it's probably... Mm, I, I think. I think St. Walker is supposed to be issue 48, so I'm guessing 49 could be Jon. Yeah, this says next, the new Guardians. Yeah, I'm waiting with bated breath for that Jon Stewart issue. Um, Alright, on a more positive note, this is refreshing. You know, nobody is buying what the Black Lanterns are selling. I mean, the most we get is we get some hesitation from Sinestro, and even then doesn't play into their hands. Yeah. I wanted to ask, because this is something you brought up, do you guys think... This idea of the personalities and memories of Black Lanterns being the result of the the Black Rings running some kind of simulator program will turn out to be true. Yes, because it's it's come up at least two or three times now, and it sta- it stands out to me because none of the characters who've talked about it really have any reason to believe it or evidence to back it up. It is true. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I agree. I think it. Pro- I think it is true. I think it's more like more that the rings basically kind of grow the body and use memories. Then, but it's true. There's not a lot of proof yet. And I don't. I don't really want to spoil anything. But um, I'm not speaking from opinion. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Moving on then. Um. What about the Agent Orange part? Did you think did, did I thought I, mean, I really as a whole I really liked this issue of all the issues we're talking about. This is the one that I liked the most. I oh mean, yeah, I thought the I thought the artwork on on Odom was kind of shaky at best, but yeah. I, but as far as the overall content, the story, I thought it was really excellent. And as a as a lover of the Blue Lanterns, it's kind of finally glad to get <laughs> Agent Orange off their back. So that was kind of cool when they showed up. Just seeing the rings come back online again was pretty cool. I like God, I like that a lot. Yeah, I feel yeah. like this weight is lifted off of me because I don't have to wait. 
like wait for this storyline to come to a head anymore. Like, all right, they're there. The the war, quote unquote, between Blue and Arge is over, and we can move on with our lives and actually see the Blue people do something. That that is true. They haven't. But when you think about it, in a way, it kind of always made sense, even though we didn't want this to be the case, because for the most part, we all like the Blue Lanterns and the Blue Lantern. I mean, everybody, there's that dark part of people that like the, you know, that like the Red Lanterns and maybe a little bit like Agent Orange, just because he's kind of an interesting character. But I think the, the core that most people, I think, feel closest to, and that's my opinion anyway, besides the green or the blues. So we all kind of wanted to see the blues in action, and we, and most people just seem to like St. Walker and what the blues stand for and Gansett and Sade and everything. But based on the own oath about, you know, the, about when looking to the stars, you know, if all burns bright at the darkest, you know, at the darkest moment, that that would make sense, that the blues would kind of be out of, out of it till, towards the very end, and that's when they would do their thing. So it was good to see them get back essentially into the game, and you know from this point on, just by reading the solicits and everything else, that you know that pretty much you know St. Walker is going to be be a major factor. I guess I was a little disappointed. I mean, the atrocities showing up at the end on Okara was great, but I, I kind of I was I think I was a little disappointed that I thought we were going to have more of a battle between the avatars of Agent Orange and the actual the pseudo corpses of his his core fighting each other. That was oh, a little yeah. disappointing, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, Blackest Night ends without me getting to see two versions of Glomulus go at it. I'm going to be pissed. Like, I will not let that go. Uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, like, with the uh, the whole, you know, update on the Blue Lanterns, I think St. Walker has literally been in the grasp of a bunch of orange lanterns for, like, four months now. That's true. Least. It is true. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the art there, you know, it's it's surprising because, like, you know, you have these pages where it is it is shaky, um, and you know, it's just like it's just kind of like almost almost muddy, and then you like you turn the page and it's like like this amazing you know page of Larfleys, and then the full page spread of uh, you know Atrocitus. It's just like oh my god, like it's like night and day. It's like absolute night and day. He draws a great atrocities. There's no doubt about that. In the begin, even in the, in the beginning when they were, when he was facing off with the with the four inversions, that it was really interesting. But yeah, for some reason, it's when that part on Odom is just. I mean, it just stands out like a sore thumb because his. I mean, you hate to criticize anyone, but looking at but his Saint Walker is horrible in this in this issue. It doesn't oh, even look God. like Saint Walker. Yeah. As well, as we've noticed, yeah, as we've talked about, and it's just luck of the draw. Some artists. I mean, I'm sure there are some artists that can draw almost everybody well, and then there's some artists that, for whatever reason, they're just they just have more of a skill set for certain characters. And yes, uh, I believe we're talking. If I rem- at this point, I believe we're talking about Monkey. Uh, yeah, he Saint Walker was not his best character. He he his drawing of Saint Walker was was not good. So it's one of those interesting things. Some people can. It's like. <laughs> Like going back, we're giving credit where credit's due for for the for all my less than thrilling or positive reviews of Billy Tan's work over the years. Billy Tan drew a good Saint Walker. That was a character he drew well. There were just a bunch of other characters he didn't. But if it, if he was drawing a Saint Walker book, then the then the art would not have been as bad because he can actually draw Saint Walker well. I I look back. There's actually four inkers on this book. Really. Yeah, there's it under inks. It lists, uh, and I'm probably gonna mispronounce some of these. 
Christian Alme. Al- yeah, Alme. Monkey and... Oh, I guess Doug Monkey inked some of his own stuff. Monkey and Tom, N-G-U-Y-E-N, I don't know how to say that, uh, with Mark Irwin. So there was... Yeah, there were four people inking this book at the same time. Mm. And, like, I, the, the first place I really noticed it was you know, the page where the where uh, your your pet light brigade are starting to get into like just little argument after they take out the two black lanterns. That every, everything up to that page is the same kind of crisp line work that we've gotten since Doug Monkey took over the book. And then on this page, it just starts getting all sketchy and flaky. And then it'll just like it it bounces away from that when we go to Okara, and then it becomes completely different when we go to Odom, and then it goes back to to normal, quote-unquote, when we go back to, I think I saw Okara and says Angie, but you know what I mean. Like, it bounces all over the place. Yeah. And not to mention, I'm going to say this again, I'm probably going to say it every single episode, but Doug Monkey does a piss-poor Saint Walker. I, I I don't know if he's like has he ever even seen a picture? And, of- and I didn't know that was coming. By the way, I just go. I was just reflecting on my overall my views of I remember the issues very well of Blackest Night with Saint Walker and Doug Monkey. So so Dan and I in the same page. This character before because like he, he like this isn't even like the right character design for this guy like. I'm waiting for him to show up in a Blackest Night miniseries issue so he can look good again. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. To me, it's, I mean, it definitely, I mean, I would have to go back and flip through the other issues with the brief cameos of the orange and the and the, uh, the blues fighting, but to me, that same Walker, clearly, there's just something completely off about the way he looks in this issue far and above. Just cause, maybe because you get so many close-ups of his face in, the, in these few panels, and you just can tell just by looking at all the other pictures of St. Walker or looking at the figure even, and it looks very little like St. Walker at all. Yeah. Mm. Like, he gave him, like, different-shaped eyes. He put all these, like, black this diamonds true, yeah. all over his face for some reason. It's... Yeah, like face tattoos. I wonder if there's Sinestro's tracking devices just in case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his face almost looks like his Amaron face. Huh. <laughs> Writing, I thought, was really good. Although Carol's, you know, love it or hate it line was terrible. Love it or hate it, we have to stand together. It's just I was like, wow, really? Okay. <laughs> well, she stands for love. She's got to get the, uh, she's got to get her digs in there. Yeah, she works on commission, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, we have to talk about this. Those three or so panels of the group of them standing together blasting the hell out of Abin and Aaron were awesome. Like, this is finally getting to the kind of color interaction we've been itching for, like, since this whole mess started. Right. Like, that is, it is just so... just just so cool to finally see, you know? <laughs> Green Lantern splitting his beam. It, it is a little odd that, like, why... why is it that, you know, two lights... Well, three lights have to be focused on one and two on the other. I mean, it's just because of the number of characters they had. That's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a much cooler visual. Like, that overhead shot wouldn't have been as impressive if, like, Sinestro was hanging back and letting everybody else fire, you know? Or maybe it's supposed to spell out something like W-I. 
No. What the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just Spit kidding on that one. my gym. War of Light, available on the Nintendo Wii. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so, uh... Uh, shall we shall we move on to the final book of the evening? Let's actually. I wanted to ask you something, and we'll probably find the sound of flashback later or something. But based on the end, do you think Atrocitus knows about the white light? He's done this like bloodletting ritual before, and he's after Larflee's power source. I, I didn't even think about it. I guess it's a possibility. Yeah, yeah. I guess he would probably have to know. If, if well, he's the one that developed the the red light. Well, I still say it was by accident. Okay, so the final book we have Blackest Night number nice. four. In this issue, we have Flash, Mera, and the Atom. They must fight the Black Lanterns in the JLA headquarters. Jason Rush Firestorm, who is merged with Black Lantern Firestorm. He, uh, Jason takes over for a second to warn them to basically just evacuate the Earth. The Atom is able to get the uh, the other two and him out of there on a phone line through a, a 911 call. We head over, we see uh, Asriel killing people in, I guess that's Gotham City? Well, Scarecrow's there, so probably Gotham. Oh yeah, it says it here. Yeah, so uh, he's uh, <coughs> killing people in Gotham City that he says doesn't deserve him. As you said, the Scarecrow is there, and he can't feel fear, so they're just kind of passing him over. Lex Luthor is basically locking himself into a giant uh, metal room to protect himself from all the people that he's ended up killing over the years. We have the Justice Society of America fighting the Black Lantern. Is that the Freedom Force? The Freedom Fighters. Freedom Fighters. They're the ones that got killed at the beginning of Infinite Crisis. Right. Uh, we find out that Alan Scott's ring is completely useless to Black Lanterns. And in a chilling scene, we see Jean Loring kill Damage. And as she uh, she takes his heart, the Black Lantern power gets up to 100%. The Black Battery gets transported to Earth. The Black Hand raises Necron, who in turn raises Coast City. I like how desperate this all is. At first I thought it was kind of weird to see them trying to go against the rules that we already knew are in place for killing Black Lanterns. Because, you know, I mean, they, they talk a lot about trying to find anyone with light-based powers to pitch in and trying to see if Alan Scott could stop them all by himself. But then I put it into the context of them. They, you know, they know there's not a lot they can do. Their whole plan is to just basically try and hold off the bad guys, not stop them. So it, it makes sense that they're willing to try anything. Important to uh, note that the, uh, like, right on the, was it the first page? Yeah, right on the first page. Martin and Jessica Jordan Graves. Yes. That is going to be, oh, God, I want, I want, I want Papa Jordan to come back. That's going to be the best Black Lantern encounter of this entire thing. Something I had talked to you, Dan, about the uh, the gravestones have rings on them, like just round rings. Yeah, the circles there. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, do we think that that has any significance? Like, you, you mentioned, like, just the circle of life kind of thing. You know, could it be that that's going to have some sort of significance or something down the road? 
I really, I have no idea at this point. Like, let's, 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 see, what, let's see what Mark thinks. I, I have this speculation just in general, and I have no idea what I'm about to say because I probably had no idea what, what I was going to say then, too, as far as thinking, even having the issues fresh in my mind then, clearly, as opposed to now, but... Uh, I think there were a lot of things about Blackest Night and where it was going to go with the white la- the white entity and the white ring and all that that we hadn't re- we really didn't know what was coming 100% yet uh, at the time we were doing this recording. So it's in- the speculation is fascinating. No, I have no idea. I have nothing. If I had to guess, I probably well, you, it's hard to think that they they some things obviously they throw in to make you think that it means something and it doesn't, but. I don't know if I, I would tend to suspect that it doesn't mean anything just for Mar- Martin and Jessica. Because if you look at the tombstone to the left, that we can't see the names on them, but they also have circles on them too. But of course we don't know who they are. Maybe there are other, maybe, maybe it's more in the family plot. So maybe, maybe it does have significance. But I can't, I, I can't figure out what it is at the moment if there is one. I was surprised, like this issue was something I didn't really think we would get in that you know, with with the obvious ex- exception of Alan Scott, there are no uh, well the the exception of Alan Scott and all the freaking zombies. There are no lanterns in this issue. Like no Green Lantern core, no other color core, no like they reference them a lot, but none of them are flying around doing anything. So this is very much like the Flash, the Atom, Mira, and whoever they can find grasping at straws. And like I. I was really surprised. Like, like I knew they were approaching this as more of a DC Universe story, but I, I and I thought like, oh well, of course there's always going to be like some kind of core there because that's so central to it. But I don't know. I don't know. Were you guys taken taken by surprise with that? Um. Yeah. No. Not really surprised. I think. I mean, when I first when I first read it, I think. I, again, based on the you know the way Hal disappeared, you kind of suspected that there wasn't going to be a whole lot of lantern tie-ins to this issue of Blackest Night. So I can't say that I wasn't that I was surprised by it. I guess when I first read it, I think I was a little disappointed because it just seemed like it, it was kind of empty. And since we know that the lanterns, the whole the whole spectrum is going to play the major role, yeah, as far as we know, and the major role in, in defeating Necron and ending the Blackest Night, that it got, did kind of seem odd. On that level, and a little disappointing. But when I reread it, I actually appreciated it a lot more because I liked I liked Barry's role in this a lot. I liked I liked how he, Mara, and Ray Palmer all worked together. I liked I liked the nine the nine one one trick too, going through the phone lines. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. But I did I and I liked and I and I liked Asriel showing up. It was kind of nice. I always I kind of liked Asriel even though his series kind of was going into the toilet at the end before they canceled it. But <laughs> I always liked Asriel as a character. So. Plus, it kind of answers the question. Some people said, is he really dead or is he not dead? So I guess we know that he is. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I think, but I liked, I liked the Flash taking charge, and I, and I liked that little line about, you know, basically that, to Mara and Ray Palmer, that basically you're Superman and Wonder, and Wonder Woman now, because that's all we have left. So you guys got to step up to the plate and take that role. So yeah. I, I liked it. I thought the issue, I thought the issue was really good, and, and, I like. It was interesting at the end seeing the power battery being transported to Coast City, which of course may not be the greatest strategic move of all time, but certainly for impact and and certainly makes for a good end to good end to the issue. 
you know, something you just brought up, like, I actually took note of. The whole, like, when Flash is giving his speech to Mira and Adam, how do I, how do I want to say it? I get what Johns was going for, and I absolutely agree with it in every way, but I just found the delivery to be so lame. <laughs> like, I think this issue is the first time I can remember, like, reading Jeff Johns' dialogue that just kind of falls flat when I can tell he wanted it to really have an impact, you know? Because, I mean, reali- realistically, this is it. Like, like okay, we need Green Lantern to be these guys, but we don't have them. Okay. We need, ideally, to have Superman and Wonder Woman here, but you know what? They're not here right now. Who do we have? We have the Atom and we have Mira. So you know what? The Atom and Mira are going to step up, and they're going to do what the big guns do. Like, I love that concept. I love seeing, you know, lower-tier characters elevated. I'm surprised as hell that they're, that Jeff Johns latched onto these two particular characters, but, you know, I'm glad he did. But it's just, it's like, I don't know, like, but just the way they said that, and the exchange that follows afterwards, where, like, well, if I'm Wonder Woman and you're Superman, what's that make him? The Flash. <laughs> like, like, I get, like, again, I get what he was going, but it was just awful. Yeah, well, maybe um, Maybe George Lucas-like dialogue is where Dan is going at. Uh, tr- of the point he's trying to drive home here, uh, it's uh, and I did like I do like the reference. I remember the issue. Uh, I mean, vaguely, not so, more so now listening to the recap, but the idea of basically you needing this, like you need your A team and you don't have it. It's kind of it kind of remember it was an issue of. I think it was the I think it was a might have been the second. Something like the second appearance of the UFOs or something in the Incredible Hulk, where they, for some reason, they wanted, they wanted to take on the Avengers, I think, and they ended up getting like the West Coast Avengers or something, because that's all that was available. It was something like that, and, and the idea of you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. I think that was like the title of the of the of the of the issue, and that's kind of what it's like here. That clearly, you know what you wanted. You know, but uh, but at the end of the day, you can't have that. So this is what you at the end of the day, this is what you really need because that's all that's available. You got to go with this too. So I I, I do kind of and I they did they did work well together. And this was this was an interesting choice as we talked about of for black for in Blackest Night that for a very lantern heavy series, which was about to go back and become super heavy lantern e at the end. To have this segue where, where the really the, all the main Green Lantern characters, including the other Lantern cores, were not a major factor, was kind of an interesting uh, storytelling device. What I think is happening, um, what I have in my notes here, like he's he's building up the the Atom and he's building up Mera, um, you know, trying to build them up a lot, and from you know the way I see it, like. The Atom has been out of the spotlight for a while now. And I think people want the Atom back. I, I think that's, you know, definitely something that they want to make happen. Especially with next year being the 70th anniversary. I think they're, you know, they're priming the Atom to, to make a comeback. Mera, on the other hand, before this, I don't think the, you know, the general DC populace, like, you know, unless you're an Aquaman fan, you really didn't care too much about Mera one way or another. Now, you know, the Blackest Night story is definitely, you know, changing that. It's making you want to know a little bit more about her. It's making you care about her. 
And then, like, the first page, like, the third panel down, I think it gives it, gives it away. A little, you know, black box that says, and even the brightest of lights will be blown out. And it's a big picture of Mera. And I think, like, right there, it's like, well, by the time Blackest Night is over, I'm pretty sure that either she's going to die or she's going to end up sacrificing her life so that Aquaman can come back or something like that. I hope not. Because, I mean, I, I like how they seem to be elevating more strong female characters. If, whether someone's in-depth in DC or not, you know, you ask them to list the first, like, prominent female superheroes that they can think of, they're going to say, like, Wonder Woman and Supergirl. Right. And, like, here we're given... Like, like Blackest Night so far, it's taking characters like Mira, like Dove, like Donna Troy, and it's it's hitting home, like, okay, these are good characters, these are cool characters, these are kick-ass characters to have around when the crap hits the fan. And, I mean, it's... I mean, if there's one thing that Blackest Night is achieving beyond anything else, is taking heroes that people haven't regarded very very highly in recent years and, and, like, bringing them up, raising their status, making them kind of badass, too. I mean, like, look at, you know, even outside the women, look at Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, Firestorm, Adam. Like, I, I hope it's not just going to cut off after this miniseries ends. Like, some of those characters obviously will continue on to, to Justice League, presumably, but, I don't know, a character like Mira, I hope we get to see her after this. <laughs> we'll see. And I hope Adam gets his costume fixed soon. <laughs> the half mask thing bugs me. <laughs> hey, you notice they have uh, fry vats in the Justice League America kitchen? <laughs> Do they? Yeah. That was funny. You took note of that? Wow. Yeah, I, you know, I just I think it's funny that like Superman and Batman have a kitchen where they can make French fries. Jim <laughs> with the details. That's silly to me. What'd you go? What'd you guys think of like the last person, you know, to put the power levels at one hundred percent? Damage? Yes. I mean I I'm I'm not sure if there's significance to it. There might very well be, but it did seem like on on the surface it would seem like a seem like a an odd choice. I mean his death did take me by surprise. Like, as soon as they registered Hope on that panel beforehand, I kind of knew. Yeah. But, like, the fact that it happened, like, through the back, and that it was Gene Loring, Ray's wife, yeah. like, that added to it. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you. I don't know if there was any significance to choosing him in particular, but. I mean, unless what they were going for was, you know, it's like, well, I'm the Adam, and, you know, it's the same name as the dude that was your father kind of thing. So I'm going to kind of watch over you for now. And it's his, you know, dead wife that ends up killing him. Maybe this turns him into an Indigo Lantern, because that's one thing that I had, you know, mentioned as a possibility. Cha-ching. I don't know. I, I, I kind of doubt that, too, now. But <laughs> I win. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing it out there. It's, you know, it's like... Like, I, I like damage, and I, I've liked damage for a while, so, you know, killing him sucks, but uh, I don't know, like, I don't know if that's going to have a significance as far as, like, 
how he was the last person. So I love Barry's reaction to power levels hitting 100, though. And that that one right there that has got to be because he is a resurrected person. Yeah. So so what do you think of like now? Now let's discuss the you know the transporting of the power battery, the raising of Necron and uh, and Co City and the Book of the Black. You guys have any thoughts? All right. Well, I guess now it's safe for us to say that the Necron thing was spoiled for absolutely everyone, like, three months ago. Yeah. Because, like, it was the cover of, like, previews or something. Yeah. And so, all right, we knew Necron was coming. It was just getting there. But the whole, like, it's it's so odd how, like, power levels hit 100%. Okay. The battery transports, all right, whatever. There's this big dramatic explosion of the hand mortuary. Black Hand standing there all badass with his cape flying in the wind, Barry's flying backwards. And then Black Hand just kind of says Necron rise and Necron crawls out of the hole. Like, it's, it, I was like rearranging this in my head. Like, if the power level spiked and then we get Black Hand's yelling Necron rise and then everything explodes and then the battery's there and Necron's coming out, like, that would have been so much more dramatic to me. I'm probably being picky. I do that. <laughs> well, Necron doesn't climb out of the hole. He actually climbs out of the ground, like, a few feet away from the hole. Oh, you're right. And then he brings back Coast City. Now, I mean, I, I guess, Mark, what what do you think of the Book of the Black? The thing that, actually, before we get, get to the Book of the Black, I think that's, I, find, I also thought it would make sense that it would happen, considering that they're not going to just leave him out there, like, like hanging in a closet or something, but I just find it interesting that not only does the battery come, but they bring the guardians with it. Because at first, I, I, for whatever reason, I guess I didn't, I didn't notice the guardians kind of like being like a Christmas ornament wrapped around the tree there. <laughs> but but that's but there they are. But so yeah, the book of the black. The thing that I I found really interesting was the la- like the, the last two lines about how their lie will be exposed and willpower will no longer be theirs to control. Yes, that's really intriguing. Just how that. I mean, that just makes you wonder entirely what, A, the lie is going to be, and B, how exactly are they going to lose control of it, and did someone else gain, gain control of it? Well, okay. So, I'm reading all this, and, you know, the, uh, just, just, you know, I'll make a note that the, the Book of the Black this time around was, uh, willpower. You know, we've had love, we've had, uh, anger and hatred, um, and I, I think for the rest of them, the different books of the black are going to be about the different, you know, the rest of the different colors of the spectrum. But um, what I'm thinking right now is that, you know, with everything, with the the black hand saying how it's it's buried under Coast City and, you know, there's, there's something buried here and it was right under, you know, the black hand mortuary, I think that... Earth is Maltus. I think that Earth is actually where the Guardians came from originally. Because I, I, I don't think that we've, you know, heard, like, where Maltus actually is ever. I think it's always, like, you know, unknown sector or whatever like that. It is one of the only, like, classic planets that hasn't come into play yet, too. Right. So, like, going by this logic, 
it could be that Necron is actually a Malthusian. Like, he could be, like, from the same race that spawned the Guardians, Krona, the Controllers, and the, Z- the, Z- the Zamorans. That would explain why his, like, his original body would be on Earth. Now, I don't know if that's, like, if it's actually supposed to be that, you know, he was buried on Earth, or if it's just some sort of symbolic where he's coming out, like, of a portal, you know, on Earth. But, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, like, Earth is Malthus, and the other thing that I was thinking of then was you have Krona, one of the, you know, Malthusians who, you know, a guardian like the others. He, you know, Krona created a machine to look at the the beginning of time. And when he did that, that's when, you know, he created the multiverse by, by looking back there. Now, they've never, like, explained this, but the Earth has always been kind of, like, said to be the center of the multiverse. Now, why would the Earth be the center of the multiverse unless it was actually Maltus where that was the originating point of the whole multiverse, you know, to begin with. So, you know, you, know, you have that, then, you know, you also look at the you fact where, that, you know, the power you know of the where, Star Sapphires... Where Jim is going you know, with this, and obviously, as we find out about the life, about the the entity and everything else, and about life, where life began, being the, you know, spoiler alert, being the lie, uh, that it, it is, again, it's, it's cool going back and listening to us speculate on what trying to put the pieces together based on the limited amount of information that we have. No, it's the uh, the Hawks. That power came from Earth. Now, if Earth is actually Maltus, then obviously the, the Guardians come from there, and they would have figured out the power of green there on Earth. And with uh, the Agent Orange storyline, they had, you know, run a heist on Maltus, and that's where they found Parallax in a box, which means that the Malthusians would have figured out about yellow on Earth. And they had the map to the orange power, which was stolen from Mal- Maltus, which was also on Earth. So it's like, if Earth is Maltus, then that means, like, it's the originating point of, you know, it's, it's the originating point of the multiverse. It's the originating point of, you know... The you know all the different colored lights, and it would it would make a lot of sense why the Black Lantern battery is now on Earth. Everything you said about like the different emotion power originating on Earth that does make a lot of sense, and it does seem to track with what they've said before about how Earth is one of the most densely and diversely populated planets out there. Thus, it's you know it would be one of the most emotionally diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I could definitely I could see that definitely. The one thing I wanted to say though was like I think in Infinite Crisis, like like you might be right about like the first multiverse, mm-hmm. but like in Infinite Crisis when we got the the multiverse back, I think Johns gave us like a good explanation there of why Earth is important to it because it was like there was no multiverse. Then Alex Luther set up his big tower theory to kind of try and recreate the multiverse by splitting the current Earth, the one Earth, into all these multiples of itself. And then that thing broke, and then that's how we got the multiverse back. So it's like, the current multiverse is literally built on the back of this one Earth. 
So like, it's it's figuratively the center of everything. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense in that point of view. What you call it? The other the other things that I was thinking about were, uh, you know, you have the the Red Lantern, you know, main power battery. It's uh, it's on your small. It was generated. It was well created basically by Atrocitus. Now, what if the the Sector Six 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 massacre was done? Just you know, like they killed off everybody except for five five people, and then locked them up. What if the Guardians did that for the sole purpose of generating enough hatred to form the red light battery? Why would the Guardians want that battery to exist? Maybe because they knew that eventually they might need it to take on the Black. I don't know, because if if that happened, then I think we would be looking at like one or two rogue Guardians doing this in secret, because I don't see the lot of them going for that, because the Guardians have been all about like suppressing emotion and making sure emotional power does not get too large. So maybe, it's like, well, maybe it was Krona then. Maybe he hasn't shown up. So I, I don't know if they'll bring him into Rule it. Rule number one: in the It's game. always Krona. I gotta tell you, like the language of this is the most interesting to me because it's like they keep referring to it as the Guardian's ultimate lie, how it's right. hidden here beneath the dead. It's, the tunnel of light they all see leads to where they least expect. And like the whole, like that that last paragraph here, Lord. When the first living creatures gained sentience and voluntarily moved, willpower was born. It is the most basic element of sentient existence, often obscured by the complexity of life. The Guardians knew this, as they knew the secret of life. Their lie will be exposed, and no, and willpower will no longer be theirs to control. There's, oh, that, it's, it's yeah. so broad, yeah. and yet it, it's gonna end up being so specific, it's like, like, what are they lying about? Like, one, what one nugget of information are they keeping from us? Because, like, like, okay, if it's, if it is that Earth is Maltus, then, alright, I, I feel like, 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 what, what does that mean for everything? Like, it'll probably be, like, a little larger than we're thinking right now. Well, the other thing that I was thinking of as far as the ultimate lie, if the Guardians knew that, you know, at first there was darkness, and that was what was in control for, you know, <coughs> basically, and then all of a sudden light just got generated, then, you know, whoever runs the, you know, the power of the black, you know, whoever is in charge of the darkness, you know, they they could be pretty pissed off at, like, you know, sentient you know, living creatures. So what if the Guardians, who are immortal, and they would want to protect the living realm, you know, as much as possible, what if they created, what if they created death? What if they created, like, this limbo area, so basically, like, people could live for a while in the light, but then, you know, by the Guardians' deal that they made with the darkness, that you would eventually die and become part of the darkness's realm. Maybe, like, like an extension of the kind of pact they made with Larflees. Right. Um, well, I'll, I'll, take it one, I'll take it a step further. 
we know the Guardians have physically evolved over time. What if their original state was the way Necron is? You know, what if they what if they started out as this and they moved like they moved away from it in favor of like forsaking Necron and locking him away? Like, what if they were like of the darkness? Yeah, like what if they were born there? Like, what if? Because they keep saying they're as old as the, as the universe. So, like, we what if they existed before the whole let there be light thing? Like, hell, what if they sparked the Big Bang, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> Mark, you got any uh, anything, any thoughts on this? How crazy are you? <laughs> I, I, I certainly could see it being some kind of other pact or deal, cause it, like they did with Larfleet, because on the surface you would think that would never... You know, why would they deal with that? You know, they're the guardians of the universe. They're supposed to be omnipotent, almost. And at least they like to think that they are when we know that they aren't. But that you would think that they would, there would be some way that they could figure out a way to, I hesitate to say destroy it, because they kind of, even though they've never given us a real reason, they just kind of told us you can't really destroy, like, pen parallax, that they couldn't destroy parallax. They just had to contain it. That it would make sense on some level for them to make a deal to try to keep the, to keep the darkness at bay. And so that would that would kind of that that would make sense because it just look at the deals that they we already know the deal with Larfleys and flashback and then we saw them the other deal that they made where they basically were putting Gantt and and Sade up on a silver platter for them which was which in a way made on some level in their mind probably makes sense but to a lot of people who were probably reading it it just kind of seemed shocking that they would be so that they would do that out of pettiness you know and in their own mind self preservation too but. If, if for nothing else to keep Larfleet and Okara and to keep them preoccupied too. So I think there's a possibility that there's some kind of deal with Necron and could could he be could they all be somehow interrelated? I think it could be, but I think I, I think what we also don't know yet is we really don't know about it, most of the guardians of the other cores. We know there's our obviously the Zamorans we know are related, but we don't know much and obviously we know Gantt and Sade are related, so you could say that those three cores are. But we don't really know yet about, we don't know about the, who the guardian of the orange really is. We don't know what the deal is, what's inside that central power battery. We don't really know about the indigos yet. So I think if we, once we get those pieces, I think we might be able to maybe connect the dots to say, yes, they all have some relation to the guardians, or they're all offshoots of the guardians on some level. And then it would, you know, maybe what, what if it is Krona or who is inside the orange central power battery or something? Then he could start connecting the dots and say, uh, "Then Necron must be related somehow to the Guardians too, because of the fact that all the other gu- all the other Guardians of the cores, even though the Anti Monitor kind of really wasn't, and even yeah. though yeah, and he's not the active Guardian anymore either. But I think it would. I think either way, I think we might better connect the dots a little, have more evidence of it too. I think once we find out a little bit more about the other entities and the other Guardians of the core, because they really haven't seen." That many of the other entities so far, which I, to, I, I'm going on an assumption here that I assume that most every, that you guys think that probably the the red entity is inside or inside Atrocitus already, Wrong. or not. I don't know. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but that would make sense with him being the only Red Lantern that can actually like think and speak and everything. And the fact that you could get his heart ripped out and it doesn't do anything to him, because obviously you can kill Red Lanterns, because we've seen, like, Lara and other people get killed. Mm. 
Um, what you go at as far as what you had said about the uh, the different colors and their guardians. Um, I made a like a quick list as far as like you have red, who you know it was created by Atrocitus' hatred of the gar- guardians. You have orange, which like you know the map to it from Krona, you know leads me to believe that it might have actually been Krona that created the orange battery, or you know he- the- what. No, go ahead. Well, you mentioned in a previous episode the shape and design of the battery is exactly like blue and green, right. which would suggest that a guardian designed it. Right. And also, like that may have been like the you know the key factor that corrupted him, you know, into wanting to see the beginning of the universe. Something I totally forgot until Mark mentioned it, and I keep forgetting it too. The anti-monitor is inside the Black Central battery, so the anti-monitor is on Earth now, too. Oh, right. That's true. Uh, and am I just weird for being a little disappointed that Necron is people-sized? <laughs> just for now, though. Yeah, because, I mean, that that previews cover, uh, and, and, and yeah, covers exaggerate, whatever. But I really like this image in, I had in my head of Necron being like this almost like Galactus-sized guy. That's just like brimming with death power and all that. So I'm like, he come he comes out of the ground. He's like eight feet. Tall. He's a, he's as tall as Jason right now. He's as tall as Jason. And I'm like, oh oh okay. Well, at least Necron's here. Well, that that cover may be like in Necron's own dimension. Oh, that's true. Because like the the background was all like swirly energy, I think. Or you could just change, be able to change size too, like like Spectre like. Right. The, spe- the Spectre can be a uh, normal size, or the Spectre can be. Oh, you know, speak, yeah. the, speaking of the Spectre, I think that's where I think the uh, the Red Lantern, uh, the, the yeah, the Red Lantern uh, entity is. It is it Atrocitus? Eh. <laughs> eh. They tried tying it to Green Lantern once before, and that failed miserably hey, for them. But that would almost make the spec. But if that was, I mean, I've, I've read that too, and other people have speculated that the Spectre could be the uh, the Rage entity. But when you think about it, it kind of—if that was the case, then whoever was, which, whichever human host was merged with the Spectre, would almost should, in theory, have almost no control over the Spectre at all. And that's really not—I mean—and and yes, the Spectre in many cases has been dominant over the human host, but the human host has an influence on it, and it's it's both a temper, temp, and so you would think that the Rage entity would have be the—you would think that would be the entity that, that would control the host the most. True. So, and then, yeah, not that they deal with, not that they really touch on, or they try not to touch on the Hal Jordanus, the Spectre series at all, but then it would be very difficult to imagine. Well, I guess maybe, you know, maybe not. I guess they could try to explain it away because of Hal's willpower, how he was able to essentially tame the Spectre the way he did and make try to make it the spirit of redemption for his own. Spin off foreshadowing. But it'd still be a hard sell if the Rage Entity was, if the further you get away from the center of the Spectre, the more it controls you that the Rage Entity I mean, the parallax. If in states, I mean, if parallax is supposed to be so impossible to control that it controls you if you merge with it, then you can only imagine what the rage entity would be like. Yeah, and parallax is so close to the center of the spectrum. Like, that's probably that should be one of the the easiest right. to overpower. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be something, and probably in retrospect, if he had ever. I mean, Jeff might have been thinking about a lot of this stuff to begin with, but I don't know if. if but I would. You kind of suspect that if that if he had it all 
pla- mostly planned out that he probably would have made Parallax have a lot of influence but not be totally controlling because it is kind of hard to imagine because it is a little just off. It made, it made sense. It made sense when you were led to believe that the Sinestro Corps was essentially the opposite of the Green Lantern Corps. Then, then, then that would make a lot of sense that their entity would be something that would totally control you. But now that we know that it's just like a little bit to the center, off yeah. center, of, uh, then it would, it's kind of, it doesn't quite jive this, this, the same way. Yeah. But, but maybe we'll get more of an explanation of that too, looking at, without giving away any spoilers, that looking at the solicits for Green Lantern 50, it kind of looks like we might get some more inklings into yeah. the nature of, of the parallax entity. Nice. Potentially, anyway. Are we uh, all set, basically? I think, yeah. I mean, overall, this... I mean, not a lot happened in this issue, really, but, I mean, overall, it was great. Like, it had a lot of great moments, you know, a lot to make you think about. Like, the Firestorm page was great, the Scarecrow scene was great, Coast City's lights all being green was great. I I could understand people not liking this issue, like, to a certain degree, there's a lot of spinning your wheels, but I'll tell you the truth. I'm excited now, because with issue four over, like, I don't read the solicits anymore, just because, like, like, something got spoiled for me that I think happens in issue five that, to me, is a big deal. But, like, now that this issue is over, we're kind of out of the realm of everything that I knew for a fact was going to happen, you know? And now, like, like all I've got left now is, like, like, the general end game we're kind of expecting, but no, don't know how it's going to happen, and like a couple story points I hope they hit. But like, there's four issues left of this thing, and that's a lot of time to just play with this. Like, like I love that Necron is a character that has virtually nothing to him because Jeff Johns can take the next four issues at least and just just build on this character. Like, this is really getting interesting to me now. I agree. I think I, I enjoyed it. I thought Blackest Knife, even though it's in a way it almost seems like it was, it, maybe it was designed to be like this too, almost like where, you know, catch your breath kind of issue where you back, you know, you kind of build, building, 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 then you kind of rest a little building. But I liked it. I thought, it, I thought, I think it sets up the next four issues very well. And now, and yes, most people knew it was Necron based on these. Most people, I mean, most people speculated it was Necron anyway, but the fact that they had revealed it a while back kind of did ruin that suspense, but. So that that reveal moment, but now, but like, like Dan said, now that we we kind of a lot of the main things that we already knew were going to happen or strongly suspected were going to happen, we've seen. Now it's to see where it goes from here and see if it to see where it, where it takes it because there's still obviously a whole lot of the story left to go. And on that note, let's take our last break and we'll come back to close the show. Okay. Another another classic sure. break. Sounds good. What do we have? What do we have? Fever. All 
have more of these musical interludes, I think. Maybe it's something we'll think about. It's kind of funny, a nice change of pace. I wanna go back in time to the scene of the crime. Just might do it up right. All I feel is a powerful yearning. Crave too much of a real good thing. Hi everybody, and we're back. And uh, Mark, how how can people find the uh, Facebook game one, one more time? The easiest way, if you're in Facebook itself, to just do a, a search and just start punching in Lantern Core. Probably if you just as I've done as I tried before, if you just punch in L A N T, pretty much the only two choices on Facebook right now you'll come up with are the Lantern Cast, which everybody should go to as well. But the Lantern Core War is the other one, and you click on that, and then you can join the game. And feedback is always appreciated, and we're trying to make the game better. And you could contact me, uh, my Mark Marble, on my, on my Facebook page, or you can when you if you go into the game, you'll see me on the when you look at the the, the core groups and the, my core group is Hope Shines Bright, and that's pretty much it. So I appreciate every appreciate you guys for having me on. I hope everybody goes checks out the game and give it a shot. It, as you, Jim will attest to it is pretty addictive, but at least it's a good addiction. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's a very fun game. Uh, everybody out there, if you're a Green Lantern fan and you're looking for a fun Green Lantern game, then definitely Thanks, check Jim. it out. I promise I'll get to it eventually. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I'll you to it. Thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, alright. And, you know, if Blackest Night is your entry point into Green Lantern you can get caught up with the series up to this point by way of in-stock trades, sister site to DCBS, where the entire current Green Lantern series is listed, available, and ready to ship. And yet, if you're planning on an, on ordering from DCBS already, you can even add an in-stock trades order onto that Push as that well. Promo, so, Dan. Really? Um, you, you, can, you can add on now? Push it. Oh yeah, they, there's like a button on their thing, like you go into the trades section, and it just it goes through the entire in stock trades catalog alphabetically and it'll just add it to whatever your DCB, DCBS order is at that time. Oh wow. Yeah, I think that's recent, like within the last year they started that. Very cool. Uh that's DCBService.com and InStockTrades.com. Very cool. Now if you want to contact the Lantern Cast. We have a few ways now. We have our voicemail line. Uh, that number is 206-600-7357. Leave us a message. We'll play it on the show. We plan on having a few. We already have a few for our one-year anniversary episode next next week. But uh, please, like, if you're hearing this, you should still have a couple of days to get those in. 
So, you know, by all means, you know, send uh, send us voicemail, send us questions for the Lantern Cast. Like you'll have just a couple of days, but you know, get it in. Questions for me, questions for Dan, questions for Jason. Uh, give us, uh, you know, give us something to work with because we plan on having a segment and we can't do it without you guys. And if you want to email us, we have lanterncast at gmail.com. You can go to lanterncast.com for our website. That's got links to all of our episodes. It has links to our Facebook page, links to our forum on thecomicforums.com. You can go there also straight there and scroll on down to Lanterncast. And, uh... I don't know what else, Dan. Um, I think that's everything. Do you oh, get our I, email addresses? Uh, well, also we're on iTunes. Um, and you know we haven't really asked for this too much before, but if anybody is listening to us on iTunes and you know you can sign in, then leave us a review because, like, uh, I think that'll help us, you know, get seen. A little easier by uh, by other Green Lantern yes, fans, review. so that would really help us out if you could, you know, give us a review here or there. Uh, we have our own personal email addresses. I'm Jim at LanternCast.com. Dan is Dan at LanternCast.com, <laughs> and Jason, our program director, is Jason at LanternCast.com. So drop us a line that way. And uh, yeah, definitely want to thank Mark for coming on the episode. It was a lot of fun having you, Mark. Well, thank you. I had a good time. I hope I did a good job, and I'm and I'm really appreciate you guys supporting the game and having me on. Anyway, I'm a big Green Lantern fan. I've been listening to you guys since last year, so I'm I'm happy to be on. And I can't I can't imagine we won't have you back at some point. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that's that's it, everybody. Have a good one. I'll make a quick wrap up on this. That was kind of an I I completely had forgotten that that Dan had made that comment, uh, prophetic as it would be about me being back on, because clearly, uh, while I was on sporadically after that, up until uh, Chad and I took over the show, um, where I handed the reins to the show by uh, Jim and Dan, that is kind of funny going back and just the timing of that episode, what we were talking about, and it was almost a one-year anniversary, and yeah, it brings back brings back a lot of good memories obviously based on my preamble here uh, i i had forgotten which is why i wanted to react live i had forgotten that i was on the entire episode for some reason i thought i was on a couple of segments but then i thought it, i started thinking about it at, i started thinking about that after i recorded it and i thought well i thought i was on at the end just because of some comments that we stuff we talked about after the you know after it wrapped so i thought i was unless they just you know they recorded it in, in different segments but Obviously, so this episode, this episode's a little longer. I'm not going to make it any longer. So hopefully you enjoyed this spin on a Lantern Cast classic. I think it it, it would be cool to uh, it would be cool to kind of do something like this again, or at least do a beginning and opening. If not, going to do a like a commentary. Commentaries on audio obviously is much more difficult than a commentary track for movies. So that's going to be. I'm going to wrap this up. Lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, 708 Lantern, those are the easiest ways to get in touch with us. Yes, iTunes and Stitcher, and leave us a positive review, Facebook, and Twitter, hashtag GLCast, locate us on those. 
Not sure what will be coming next. I know Dan and I are actually talking to try to figure out a topic, so it's very likely that Dan and I are going to record an episode, which may very well be 399, might be the last numbered episode and, until Chad comes back or un, unless we w- figure out a, a fix. But that will be cool because Dan and I never actually have recorded one-on-one, so that'll be a re- that, that would be really cool. I'm really kind of looking forward to that. So that's going to be it for now. So... I am going to say farewell, and I will talk to you soon. So, good night, everybody.